Hosting for this podcast is made possible through mtgcast.com, which is supported by a generous contribution from quietspeculation.com, Magic's premier trading and financial news site. Welcome to episode number 38 of The Third Power. As always, I'm here. This is Anthony Avatolo. I'm here with my co-host, Usman Jamil. How you doing? I'm very excited. As you, you can tell. tell. Yeah, buddy. That's like the, <laughs> one of the best, uh, m- most enthusiastic openings I've heard in a while. And it's probably because we do have a special guest today, uh, Star City's own Justin Parnell. Very, very excited to be back on, guys. I appreciate you letting me come back. Yeah, he, like, sent me a text saying, like, hey, you guys are recording. I'm like, want to be on? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, Justin had a great article that came out this week about Cube that you guys should go read, a little little Cube potpourri type article. We hits on a couple of great topics. And and actually mentioned that, hey, around this time last year, I was on this podcast, and we touched on this thing that I wanted to talk more about. And, well, here he is. He's back. I did. And, uh, I went back and listened to the podcast just so I could re-hear us talk about that, so I could get reference for that article. So it was it was a nice little walk down memory lane. And uh, look, here I am again. And here you are again, just in time. Today's uh, today's format. We're going to do our M14 uh, set review. So uh, we'll talk about all the uh, exciting and maybe not so exciting cards that are in that set. Um, cover what you guys need to be on the on the lookout for for your cubes. Uh, and, of course, we'll start every episode like we usually do with our Crack-A-Pack. And uh, whose cube are we using today? I think we're going to use my cube. Okay, sweet. you want to tell us a little bit uh, about it, kind of size, format, all that stuff, so people know what's up? Absolutely. So my cube is 540 cards. It is powered fully, uh, except for Time Twister. Um, and I actually have my cube... Uh, listed on the new site, which is cubetutor.com, which is really sweet. You guys should definitely check that out. Uh, start with early plugs, but go ahead and check that out if you have a chance. My cube's on there. I'm sure it'll only be a matter of time before Anthony's and Usman's cube are on there, too. So. so I have my pack pulled up whenever you guys are ready. All right. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about Cube Tutor too. Unfortunately, I'm, I'm real bad about keeping my own list updated on my own spreadsheet, and Cube is one of those things that came up, and I said, okay, I gotta get it updated yep. so I can put it up there too. So I'll I'll try to use it as inspiration and impetus. But I've heard nothing but good things about it. So all right, well I'm I'm ready when you are. If you just want to call out the cards individually, we'll uh, we'll absorb them and make our random noises and sound effects and comments as they come up and see what happens. All right, sounds good. Sounds good. We got a, we got a good pack here. Good pack. All right. All right. So the first card is Oracle of Moldaya. All right. Like an oracle. Second card is Searing Spear. All right. Third card is Breeding Pool. All right. Fourth card is Exclude. Okay, that's the uh, counterspell draw card for three mana from uh, Invasion. That's correct. Yeah, sorry, I could remove kind of a creature or something. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. 
the fifth card is Undiscovered Paradise from Vision. I've always wanted to add Undiscovered Paradise since uh, the Landfall creatures came oh, out. Oh, yeah. That's when I added it in mine. It has been very sweet. For those that don't know, because this is not super ubiquitous among all cubes, but it's a land that taps to add one mana of any color to your mana pool, and then at the beginning of your next untap phase, if you tapped it the previous turn, you return it to your hand. Right, so, so that way you get constantly Exactly. Cool. Sixth card is Lightning Greaves. Alright. Seventh card is the card that I was most wrong about in my Dragon's Maze review, which is Aetherling. <laughs> Aetherling is a boss, by the way. Good lord. Eighth card is Wall of Omens. Ninth card is Glen Alondra Archmage. Ooh. Some nice blue cards. A nice uh, reprint recently in Modern Masters. Yeah, that's right. Made it a little cheaper for everybody that didn't have them. Tenth card is Flooded Strand. All right. Eleventh card is Upheaval. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. My spidey sense is going off. Upheaval sense. Oh, good lord. Next card is Farseek. All right. Then we have Obsidat Ghost Council, the new Obsidat from Gatecrash. And then the last two cards are Sneak Attack and Mystical Tutor. Hmm. All right, this is a pretty good pack. I think there's a ton of different ways that you could go about drafting this pack if you opened on it. There's a lot of cards you can just open on and then wheel something else sweet for that deck, so this is kind of wide open for, for anyone. And I think it's, like, uh, one of the things um, I've heard from people is, like, you know, talking more, like, about, I guess, the individual cards. Sometimes I go, like, because my initial instinct was to go, all right, upheaval, I'm done. Good night. Good night, everybody. But that's not, it's kind of doing a disservice. So I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I, uh, there's certainly a lot of great cards. And, and to go back to your Aetherling point, good Lord, is that card impossible to beat. Yeah, it, like, it's just literally impossible to beat. I mean, it is so close to unkillable. Um, and it is, I mean, the eight unblockable damage a turn when you have, you know, enough mana available is just, that plays offense and defense. And it's just, it's pretty gross. Uh, you know, we, we've started to see what it looks like in standard, how decks are, you know, your opponent drops an Aetherling, and it's like, well, I, I hope I have my own soon, or else, you know, we're not going to have a chance. Um, but this card has definitely surprised me. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember what I actually said about it in my review. I, I think I remember liking it, but... Uh, yeah, I honestly don't remember. I, I think, I think the impression was kind of meh, trending towards negative. Not, not not like super, but maybe like 4 out of 10, maybe, or 5. I don't know. Yep. I was probably at about 4 out of 10. I was like, this card is is okay. But I, I was comparing it too much to Morphling, which was uh, com- so utterly and completely wrong. Well, I mean, but it's understandable for sure why it, you know, yeah, but I should know why that. you would compare it that, but... Nicole, dude, the names are like the same. I know. Yeah, that, how that, can you not compare them? The link. <laughs> doesn't have RK post art, though. No, it is not. All right, so... You guys, uh, here's my thing about this pack. 
You may not know, but I am I am one of the biggest champions of upheaval possible. I uh, I crusade around forums online, around Q forums online, and my spidey sense goes off when people talk crap about uh, when people talk crap about uh, what's his name. Uh, I, I show off and, and really try to uh, psychotog. You know, defend it. But there was somebody in like my, my playgroup who's like thinks like upheaval's bad. And, like, doesn't, like, how do you draft upheaval? Like, how's it supposed to be good? I'm like, or, like, what kind of deck do you play with upheaval? I'm like, decks with islands? Like, this is not a difficult question. Uh, decks that are as unfair as possible. That, too. Right, it's like, imagine getting a chance to restart the game, okay? And you basically get to trade a bunch of life for you starting on turn five. And they start back at the beginning. Huh. Oh, uh, like okay. Like yeah. All right. So I found my rating for Aetherling. I gave it a three out of five, with a chance at being, you know, up moving up to basically, so you know, uh, a shoe in for medium sized cubes, but possibly being good enough for the smallest size cubes. So in retrospect, now that you've played with it, what would you rate it? Uh, I would rate it a four. It's it's close to first pickable. Um, the problem is, is it's real hard to pick super expensive spells for me unless it's like upheaval <laughs> but yeah. it's hard for me to pick it. but it's it's a four or greater I mean I think it it's one of the it's one of Blue's best finishers do you like it better or uh, Consecrated Sphinx I, I, uh, yeah. I, I think if you actually want to actually think I like Aetherling I think I like Aetherling better I know that sounds like that sounds crazy because no because like, if you actually want to kill them like it it does that quickly like here's you know, as a, if you're a control deck, I mean, how do your games against aggro and mid-range usually work out, right? Usually they bash you some, and then you stabilize, and then you try to kill them before they they draw out of it, right? And they get you with their last few points of damage that they need. This card closes in a hurry. In a freaking hurry. So it's it's definitely a four for me. I mean, I definitely like it over Kaiga and, and all those guys uh, that, that have found their ways out of cubes, but... I mean, I I'm, I still like Maloku a little bit better, um, just because of getting online a little bit sooner. Uh, also, feels just as unfair, just as unbeatable. Um, but Aetherling, as far as like the six plus drops in blue, it, it's it's got to be number one or number two. Having played with it now, totally agree. That being said, I'm taking Upheaval because I think Upheaval's the better blue spell. Um, there's, it's just real hard for me to pass up evil. It's just one of those spells that, even in the worst case scenario, ensures that you're not losing the game. And in the best case, you know, medium to best case scenarios, you're winning, you know, an overwhelming majority of those games. So for me, if I'm picking a heavy, uh, an expensive heavy blue spell, I'm jamming up evil. I can find ways to win the game later. There's no way. I mean, maybe it will table. Uh, people should know by now that Aether Lane shouldn't be in the pack. But I'm hoping out of this pack, to, if I get upheaval, that I can uh, swing either one of the blue lands on the way back around or possibly the Exclude or uh, Archmage. So, I mean, do you think we could wheel Oracle? Yeah, I think it's... Yeah, it's absolutely. Just absolutely. Blue -green. Yep. And absolutely. I think, yeah, we, I think that, that might be a plan, like, to take the upheaval and then try to, like, maybe wheel Oracle and go for, like, blue-green ramp kind of thing. Yep. Like, Aetherling probably wouldn't come back, like you guys were saying. Well, uh, Archmage, maybe? 
I, I was thinking wall of them. I mean, it depends on how big your draft is. If it's an eight man or a six man or a four thing that matters. But yeah, um, I, I feel like you could certainly wheel one of those cards. I also see a lot of tables where people would let mystical tutor wheel. Yep. Yeah, and that's something that you can just be like, oh, what's better than one of people in my deck? Huh? How about two? I think yeah. I think in, in this pack, mystical tutor like. On average, is probably one of the weaker cards, so I don't I don't think it would be very difficult to table at all. I mean, even going farther than that, I also j- just to it think upheaval is easily the pick here, not because it's so much better than every other card, but the fact that you have by my count six other cards that want to be in an upheaval deck is just insane. That you're going to get one of them back and probably your pick of two or three. Yeah, even Farseek is very good in, in like, the upheaval mm-hmm. type deck. You know, oh, that's yeah. another spell that you like casting, because you just want to to be able to just get ahead and, you know, reset the game. And, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm on turn four. Which turn are you on? Oh, one? Oh, okay, you're fine. Because <laughs> remember all those one-drops you used to have that I wrapped away on turn five or whatever? Yeah, well, you don't have those anymore, so... Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. I wonder if. I wonder if this creature I cast after upheaval will kill you or not by then. Do you think like lightning greaves would be like in a uh, in an upheaval deck probably? Um, I, I don't. I guess it depends on. I, I think if you're a tempo type deck, let's say you're like a a bant tempo deck or something like that, then I can certainly see it. You know, if basically upheaval is like your top end reset button where you can go upheaval into like Geist of Saint Trap. Oh, no. Oh, people no. into some other, like, cheap threat that can just close in a hurry. Uh, then I can see maybe Lightning Greasing, because then it's just good with your creatures in general. Um, but I think most of my upheaval decks would not like Lightning Greaves. Yeah, I agree. I think you want to be committing as, as many... Well, not committing as many permanents to the board as you can hold back. And... It, one less permanent that's in your deck that is going to take up a slot in your deck to do that that does not create mana, I think, is a, a benefit for an upheaval deck. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely on upheaval here because of the uh, all the options uh, to to what you can wheel. I mean, if this is a four- or a six-man draft, we're getting multiple sweet cards for our deck. If this is an eight-man draft... If this is a four-man draft, you already have the best deck just by opening this pack. Yeah, this yeah. this pack is really good. I mean, we haven't even mentioned Flooded Strand. I just love fetch lands. Like, they just... You know, one thing a lot of people underestimate, and another thing I like to harp on with cubes is that are people's mana bases and just how important it is to to cast your spells when you want to cast them. I actually and cut a bunch of multicolor cards just to get more fixing in, and... Like, there's that, I don't know when, why, but there's, like, a trope being, like, you put too much fixing in, control will be too good. And, like, the uh, week after that, there was, like, half the table was, like, insane aggro. And it's like, yeah, that was, well, uh... Yeah. I was like, yeah, that really made my my cube dragon cube. Well, I mean, think about all, like, the blue, or the uh, white-black, uh, like, ag- aggressive decks, like, disruptive aggressive decks. Like, you need double whites, double blacks, black and white, a lot of times within the first three turns. You need yeah. to have access to all of them, and that's what makes it so good. Or, you know, the last time I think I drafted with uh, with Justin, I drafted the uh, Triple Johnny deck. I had a Boros deck. I yeah. just, you know, well, one of my packs, I just first picked the Sacred Boundary. I'm just like, yeah, there are cards in my deck in here, but I want to be able to cast my spells. It was just like, and it was easily like the smartest pick I made in the entire draft. Like, 
I need to be able to cast my spells when I want to cast them. So, do you, no, uh, how far in how how high in this pack is sneak attack? Because I'm not really sure where I would rank it in this pack. I, I think I think this is for me. I think this is what I would do. Let's say this pack doesn't have upheaval, or let's say sneak attack is one of the better cards in the pack. I think if I don't know the cube, I lean over and I ask, "Are there Eldrazi in this cube? Are there you know what I mean like?" That, that's probably the first question I ask is, are there Eldrazi in this cube? Because obviously that's the best interact. That's one of the best interactions. Is there Frizzle Brand? Is there these kinds of things that you really want to be super cheating about? You know, uh, Sundering. I, I assume Sundering Tech to most people, but I have actually seen a trend recently where people are like, I don't like Sundering Titan. What? You know, and are taking it out. Um, Why would they take out Sundering Titan? It's too expensive. You can't. When, when people cheat it out, it's not fun. What? It's not fun. Sundering Titan. It's always fun for one person. Of course it is. And yeah. you know what? Like, if you're, you know, and that's the thing is, there's so few ways, in it, and it's one of the few that you can actually cast. Like, I'm not running, you know, Darksteel Colossus or Lightsteel yeah. Colossus. Like, well, the only r- realistic way you have of casting this is by cheating it into play. But, but I think that's a question I would ask. And I think if I get an affirmative on those, then I would certainly look into uh, certainly look into the drafting sneak attack because it's I mean it's the real deal for sure. I think it's one of those things where you just have to have like kind of having faith in the cube designer kind of thing. Where it's like someone like if you see like a jackal pup in a pack is like I guess the first thing you mentally think of, or even like a goblin guide is is aggro good in this cube. And I guess you have to have faith, kind of, or ask the person and see if they're being realistic. You know what I mean? Like, if I got a Goblin Guide first pick, even in Moto Cube, I'm probably not going to take it, probably because I don't really want to be aggressive in the Moto Cube. But in, like, another cube, I may. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think another <laughs> follow-up question is, is show and tell in, the, in, the, in here? Is uh, Hypergenesis or Eureka? You know what I mean? Like, how many other similar type effects are there? So I know if I can just draft like you know a bunch of boom booms and and have more things to do with them than just sneak attack in. I think sneak attack is a card that I would look at in this pack. Maybe if I was getting this pack third or fourth, uh, where it's I, I would say upheaval and then probably Aetherling are the two most powerful cards just in general. Mm-hmm. And then after that, either the I would I would personally draft the flooded strand, but. Uh, it would, that would obviously depend on who you were drafting with, whether they valued lands highly or not. But then after that, Sneak Attack is the card that is going to pull you directly into an archetype. And when you have that in the beginning of your first pack, and you can draft around it, assuming the the cube owner has set it up to where Sneak Attack can be good, then, I mean, it is extremely powerful. I mean, it's, it's really as powerful as Upheaval, but Upheaval is a lot easier to you know, wreck your opponent with than sneak attack just drafting regularly. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's uh, sneak attack sweep, but I'm, I, I think we're consensus on upheaval here. Yeah. Absolutely. Upheaval is ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's really funny, and whenever I'll... Uh, it, it's gotten to the point now where there are certain people, someone will come on one of the forums and say something about, like, I don't understand how upheaval works, or we're thinking about cutting upheaval because you can get it to work right, and people will start to be like, all right, where's Anthony? He's coming in. Yeah. He's coming in. So, and it's, it's it is. absolutely. Also, just in general, for any cube that it's in, one of the best 
pack one, pick one picks you can make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I agree. I love building around upheaval. I love the blue artifact deck in general, and upheaval just plays so well into that. Ah, love upheaval. Did I mention I like upheaval? I like upheaval. I don't know if I've said that or not already this uh, <laughs> this this podcast, but up people's pretty sweet. So what's also really sweet when you stick it under your uh, the best one ever shell dock aisle. When you stick it under your oh. shell dock aisle. <laughs> it's also a really sweet one, which is another card that people don't like and I don't understand. I haven't gotten the uh, what's that on the uh, thrag tusk upheaval combo yet. Ooh. Yeah, I, I've yet to un- unlock that achievement, but when I do, oh dear. I mean, I imagine the, the best creature you have with upheaval is sitting in this pack with it. Yeah, Oracle Moldaya is no joke, and so is Aetherling. You're just like, yeah. phase yeah. it out, yeah, phase it out, here it yeah. comes back. Yeah. I mean, that's got to be just insane. How high in the pick order is uh, Obsidizzle, would you say? Uh, I like, I, and he's he's so strong, but this is like a, this is a terrible pack for him. Yeah. Like, the only the, the only card you're really interested in getting back is like Wall of Omens or Flooded Strand, yeah, and outside flooded. of that, it's like there's just like nothing else that goes anywhere near what you would be doing with him in a deck. So, unless you're, maybe if we're going like generic Esper Control or something with him as a finisher. Yeah, then like Glenlanda Archmage is probably an okay wheel. Yeah. Uh, or maybe even maybe exclude, but this is this is a pre. I think Obzet's really really good. He's uh. He's one of the stronger multicolored creatures, I think. Just in general, he's just so tough to cast. Uh, but when you can actually, I mean, when you can draft him, and you're drafting black, white, or like an Esper control deck, like you said, he is. I mean, he's just how he's also impo- he's he's almost as impossible to deal with as Aetherling is, just because so few things kill him. On- I remember when I did my set review. I think there was like seven cards that. Yeah, in most cubes that kill. I'm like, Shit. it's a really low number. Yeah, I remember someone was like, "Oh, you can just swords the plowshares. It sucks." I'm just like. Really? What what other cards are there? You're gonna have is this a uh, legacy? <laughs> You're not always gonna have the source of plowshares. Yes, right, we should just take all the creatures out of our cube. Yeah. Because <laughs> you didn't realize there's only one source of plowshares. You don't get four of them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Obsidad is uh has been real nice. I've also really liked uh the blue green one out of the same set. Uh Zagana? Zagana. Zagana's been real good for us as well. Speaking of hard difficult to cast the times. I like in the same set, the other Simic Mythic rare better than Zagana. Which progenitor mimic? Master Biomancer. Ah! Yeah. I've been a huge fan of Master Biomancer. He has been... I I was on the fence with him when I put him in. I was just going to put him in to try him out. But he has been awesome. If you have right. a ton of mana elves, and you're going to be getting another one in M14, hopefully you'll be putting it in your cube. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. A lot of elves is coming back again. Yeah, <laughs> I remember like some of the talking points I heard about Ma- Master Biomancer is like, oh, it's uh, worse than uh, Druid's Familiar. I just like face palmed. I'm like, like that's just like super disingenuous and like makes no basis in reality whatsoever. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't even know how to respond to that. But probably face palm because that's what I did. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's just a card I haven't tried yet because just like one of those things where I, you know, I got a Prime Speaker and I've been happy with that, so I didn't even think about going back to to look in there. I mean, obviously it has great. There's obviously a, a lot of very good uh, cards that combo with it from, you know, if you play it sequ- sequentially, that costs five or more, but... Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that into a Cloud Goat Ranger, a Geist Honored Monk. Siege Gang. 
Siege Gang Commander. Deranged Hermit, Precursor Golem. Yeah, Hornet, well, Precursor Hornet Golem. Queen, Mirror Battlesphere yeah. Golem. <laughs> the bees. Oh, no. Any, any number of... I mean, yeah, if you support if you support tokens, or even just, like, even if you don't really support tokens and only have a handful of cards but have a ton of mana elves, I mean... The, it, it's it's pretty incredible. It, it turns it turns your dead draws into you know elephant tokens that can tap for a green. So Justin, I have a question to ask. Absolutely. What do you like better, uh, Master Biomancer or Shardless Agent? Oh, uh, it has to be Shardless Agent. But I feel like I like Shardless Agent more than almost every other card. So I don't know if that's a fair question. That's Shardless Agent is just in, uh, I, I mean. Last night was actually the first deck I had that I did not that I drafted Starless Agent but could not play him, and that was, was only because like, I had uh, was it like mono counter spells or something? No, I only had I had three two drops and an X spell, and the only two drop that I wanted to hit was like a literal core. So that huh. doesn't work out. But I I'm a huge fan of Starless Agent. He's awesome. Same here. I, I, people get like scared. They're like, "Oh my god, it hits counter spells!" Like, don't play in mono counter spell that deck. It can be bad. I mean, like, it's, go ahead. I'm sorry. The the worst thing that can happen, like, unless you're hitting just literal counter spell, you're gonna put them on the bottom of your deck. A lot of them you can just cast for value. Like, you hit like a a condescend or a remand. I love remanding my own Charles agent. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! Wow. Yeah, sure. Why not? I'll cycle and try this again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, his his upside is just too good to not play. You got you better you had to have like four counter spells that cost two or less in your deck to make him not good. Yeah, and every time you hit an ancestral visions instead, you're just like you I'm the king of the world. <laughs> what, I, I hit a counter spell with this the last five times. I don't remember because I'm drawing three cards. <laughs> or even like hitting a mana rock or like a, a yeah. lotus cobra or something. It's like whatever. Even even just hitting a mana elf, you're just like, hey, now we're ramping too. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hey, then. Speaking of uh, master of Shardless uh, Agent, let me get your. Uh, you know, I was mentioning before the cast that I was uh, I'm working on building a modern cube and, and doing that. Um, that. One of the questions I'm going to ask as I build it, I, I'm going to ask the public um, and work into my whole building process is what it, would you define to be the modern cube? Is it uh, certainly it's only cards printed in basic sets from uh, eighth forward or reprinted from eighth forward? But would you consider the commander cards uh, or the plane chase cards, which are printed post eighth ed, um, do have the modern border, uh, but some of them definitely have more eternal sensibilities than than perhaps just modern? Would you consider those to be fair game? Why or why not? I'd probably say no, just just because I'm follower like it just seems like I'm not sure how much they would work things but then again it's like scavenging ooze like everyone was like oh my god they'll never print this in standard because it's going to be way too good and then well here we are oh my god more foreshadowing oh, oh no oh no I'm uh you're ruining the like, surprise I'm like uh spoiler man <laughs> spoiler man <laughs> what big big S on your chest you're like flying in, you're like, people are like, oh, I want to watch the crying game. You're like, shoo, it's really a guy. You know, it's this, you know, just like <laughs> flying in, like screwing up movies and everything. <laughs> That'd be sweet. We should make that as a movie. 
I'm making, I'm making up my new name now. And then after you do it, you can giggle. <laughs> Wait, that's like me breathing. I mean, that's... <laughs> you can be like, it was her father the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Usman, so you're a no in uh, no commander or uh, plane chase? No, I, yeah. I would, I would probably, like, if I was to just build it, I'd probably say... If I was to actually build it, I'd probably just, like, maybe try it, but keep a very close eye on it, but... Yeah, that's my new answer. There you go. All right. Just what do you think? I will say a resounding yes. Because there's so few cards that you're really going to be including, it's going to be way under ten, probably, like, six or seven at the most. Mm-hmm. And, like, the cards are going to enable more archetypes then they're going to hurt my existing, like, Baleful Strix, Shardless Agent, you know, in addition to just being sweet regular cards, like, then you can make the Tezzeret Agent Abolus deck better by having those cards in. Sure. You know, a card like Edric Spymaster of Trust is an awesome card. Um, those two cards help Simic exist, because, sure. you know, before, probably before Gatecrash, I mean, that was super, super dry as far as depth in a two-color combination. And then there's probably just a couple of other cards. Um, so it's, it's a minimal, you know, a minimal bend to the rules, if you will, for a greater impact in your cube, fun factor-wise and archetype enabling-wise. So I would say, I would say definitely yes. I don't think they're, uh, I don't think they're, I don't think they overpower any of the modern legal cards as is. Um, they're they're modern modernly designed, so I think they should go in the modern queue. All right, makes sense. Makes sense. The other question I had, and this one's a little bit uh, a little more polarizing. Unhinged, yes or no? Because they were in fact printed with the modern border, mm. except for uh. blast, uh, except for blast from the past. <laughs> but, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but so that's 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 round two. Now I can certainly see making an exception and not playing gifts given. Yeah. Um, just because of how absurd that card is, but thoughts on on the actual unhinged set cards? Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's my answer. Yeah, sure. And I think I'm going to say no on this one. Okay. Uh, kind of the same reason for including the commander and play chess cards, because I don't think they were... I don't think they have design implications for what your cube would be trying to do because they're kind of just generic cards. Uh, they're not really like archetype defining any of them. You know, like uh, well, I, I think there's one huge archetype defining card. Okay, I might actually one of the, one of the favorite ones I was just talking about on Twitter the other day, and that's Rare Be Gone. I love right. getting an early Rare Be Gone in the draft uh, because the the black, you can build an entire black-red aggressive deck by almost sticking to the plan exactly and wind up basically with a format of one-sided apocalypse in your deck. That's true. That's true. Yeah, that card right. is, when, when you can draft that early, that card is insane. Yep. Man. Yeah, for sure. So that's, so that's one that I love. That's one that I like that I think personally is, is archetype defining. But, but you're right, but does it have those, but does it have modern card design sensibility or are these cards, were these cards intentionally made with the more older school uh, plus goofiness factor to them that, that is different now? So, 
that, that's kind of where I am on those, and, and that's that's what I'm kind of trying to get people's opinion. I have my own opinions on on what they are, and I'm uh, I'm more in the all inclusive camp than the non inclusive camp, but uh, I'm willing to be convinced either way for sure. Well, I'm glad so, we I'm glad we each disagreed on one so we can get all the opinions out there. That's true. <laughs> right, and I and like I said that's something I'll definitely be be taking to the uh, taking to the public and try to figure out what what they think. And, and I'm like I said I'm I'm tending towards yes on commander and no on the unhinged cards, um, just because I want to I also want to make it different than my previous cube, which I'm trying you know which has a little bit of uh, you know it definitely has. Uh, Inclusion factors that are more than what is the best card, then that card needs to be in here. You know, I have more more at stake in my cube than than that. So I think I would like this one to just be well. Let's just get the best magic cards, and you'll have something to tell you that you know a lot of the unhinged cards really aren't intended to be true magic cards. So more like inside jokes and such. <laughs> so cool. Well, I have. Uh, uh, Let's 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 keep going here. Let's uh, let's move on and see if we can get closer to talking about M14 cards. Now, um, I see something here about past core sets and their impacts. As yeah. I as I do our show notes here. Yeah, if you look on a, it was on a. You see how there's two sheets. There's like core yeah, set yeah. past. Like we're t- Justin and I were talking about uh, this before recording about how a lot of core sets in the past had a lot of interesting like cube staples, mm-hmm. and we didn't really think of that. It's like. Like, you know, the obvious, like, Titans, for example. But there are, like, a lot of other core sets seem to have a lot of, you know, cube impact. You know, like, Elite Vanguard, uh, Baneslayer Angel, Sun Titan, you know, Titan, Phantasmal Image. It's like, Phantasmal Image? How's that a... Like, I didn't even think of that as a core card. Right. Oh, yeah, it certainly is. Aesthetics, aesthetics line, too. Wow. Huh. Huh. Yeah. There's yeah, tons, I, of tons of stuff that's that's core set that's just in everyone's cube. We uh, I think we added up. Uh, well, I listed all of the cards that were in my cube that were originally printed in a core set from M10 towards M13, and yeah. split it up between fringe, role player, and staple. And there were the most cards in the stable category than the other two. Yeah. Huh. Now I, I have a question, and maybe. I don't know. I'm checking something real quick here before before I stick my foot in my mouth as I go through this uh, as I go through this set. But um, preordain, I don't see on this list. Oh wow! wow. What was that? Preordain. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah we I thought that was, uh, that was a Mirrodin. Wow, good call. Yep. <laughs> preordain. Jeez. I mean, I feel like that's a a, a staple card as well. Yeah, it's definitely staple. Yeah, that one is just specifically not in my cube because I don't have, um, I don't want, I just don't want blue to have access to a a one man like be able to do that for one mana. But that is certainly a staple in ninety five percent of people's cubes, I think. Yeah, there's some there's some real nice ones on here, uh, you know, and a card that I've been trying to prove. I, I think that Usman and I have been trying to to jam people towards including that Sublime Archangel card. Yeah. Ah, oh, card is such a pain. Card is so good. I mean, it's it's on this list here, but good lord, uh, look at what Thundermall Hellkite has done, even in older constructed formats. I mean, it sees modern play for crying out loud. What deck plays in modern? Uh, the Jun 
Jun decks play the modern, the blue, white, red mid range decks. Yep. Huh. Like the blue, white, red control decks or whatever. Nice. It's just as a way to attack right away and. Yeah, there's actually quite a few cards on here. As I go, as I go through it, as I take a look through here, through here. Wanna Shaman, uh, Stormblood Berserker, uh, Obstinate Bailoth. Masters of Wild Hunt is one I think people undervalue yeah. a lot. Flames, or yeah, Masters really good. There's somebody in my group who just like, it's he he, he uh, like. He says, like, whenever I played, it just dies. But it's, like, only him. Like, everybody else, like, I'll get some wolves out of this. It's like, yeah. yep. But what happens when it doesn't die? Like, well, you just have reusable removal in green. Yeah. Oh, uh, Cultivate. That's another one. Yeah. Oh. I, got, I must have just missed that one. That one is definitely in my cube. But, yeah, yeah. Cultivate certainly another one. I was just actually just looking through my cube right now. I'm just like, oh, yeah, Cultivate. That's another card that doesn't seem like a core card, but, yeah. Well, it's because it wasn't. It used to be an arcane spell. That's yeah. true. That is, uh, that's true. <laughs> when I was, uh, back when, back when Master of the Wild Hunt was in standard, when Jun was around, I used to joke that there was a hidden text, piece of text on Master of the Wild Hunt that tutored a lightning bolt to the top of your opponent's library. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that certainly happened a lot. Hey, I, I see a card on this list that I wanted to bring up. I've, I've brought it up at different times, but I'm curious to get a, a live take on it. And that's uh, uh, Yeva, Nature's Herald. Uh, I know, Justin, I know I remember seeing it in your cube when we played last time. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your opinion nowadays? Because I actually found in, you know, every once in a while I like to sort my cards and, and kind of get things organized and I find stuff. And I found the, these pre, uh, the pre-constructed sealed pack that has the foil Yeva on top. And I thought to myself, huh, I remember this card. I've, uh, should I be including it or not? Convince me. Do you still well, have, did you still not crack that yet? No, 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 it's still in the pack. Thing. That's what I thought. I was like, oh, yeah. Well, right now, I did have Yeva in my cube for probably about, I don't know, six to nine months. It's not in my cube now, but it was more just for space reasons than anything. I wanted to try some cards that were a little more exciting, I thought. Um, Yeva's good, and it's really just getting better. Um, with, like, Thragtusk-esque creatures being printed, um, and especially now with the, uh, like, Progenitor Mimic and Zagana and stuff like that that's green in addition to another color, Yeva just gets better. So it's definitely a card for people to try out if you haven't yet and see how it works in your cube. Um there's a surprising number of interactions with green creatures that you don't really consider necessarily green because you splash them or they're in different kind of decks, but it's uh, it's a powerful card, and it's one of those cards that just gets better with more creatures being printed, which are always the best kind for cube because even if you don't have it now, you come back in like a year or so, and you're like, wow, this card would be insane in my cube. You put it in, and it's awesome. So definitely one to keep watch on. Cool. I'll definitely I'll, I'll upgrade it to my own deck binder because um, I'm definitely starting to make a, a bigger push towards I, I've finally given up for the most part on the hyper green mono green aggressive decks so yeah. I've been pulling those kind of cards and I've been moving towards uh, more ramp type oriented cards and, and fatty cards and a natural order theme as well to try to push that direction and see if that works out better than uh, you know then turn to Leather Back Baylock, which which people didn't seem either didn't come together too often or were just unwilling to draft it. 
So we're we're changing it up and, and seeing what, uh, what we can make out of it. And Yeva is one of those cards that seems to me might be better in those ramp type things because you get to just play those boom booms uh, end of turn as instants instead of constantly in your own turn. Obviously with something like Crater Huff, not as good, but yeah. certainly something like Primeval Titan, pretty sweet. Absolutely. Another card that people should be playing in their cube, if you're not, just put it in. Please, just put it in your cube. Primal Titan's so good. Oh, yeah, Prime Titan's, yeah. <laughs> I recently got a Grand Prix one, so I'm like, all right, now we can finally put it in. We're, we're, we're good to battle now. Yeah, I, I've been, I, I was a big, I'll, I'll admit, I was a big naysayer on that card. I was too, uh, totally. When it first came out. And now having had a chance to play with it some, I'm... Uh, I'm pretty impressed. You know, my always, my always, my my downside of it was, well, if you already have six mana and play, really, what are two more? Um, and how many utility lands are you really going to have in your deck? As it turns out, just being able to get one of them <laughs> is is pretty good. Basically, yeah, like here's a tutor for a free spell. Like, here's my raging ravine. Deal with this now, <laughs> or whatever. Oh, and right. the mana. Right, or you're running type two style and, and go get your. Uh, Wolf Run. Yeah. Which is a card that I, that I really like that I, I wish more people would run in theirs. It, much like my Master Biomancer turns all your your late idiots into yep. uh, legitimate threats. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I have Wolf Run in my cube. Super impressed. Uh, I doubt... I, I can't really see anything ever happening to make me take it out at this point. It's been so, so good. Yep, and it's in a good color. It's in a good color combination for it too, and just Absolutely. you know, have oh, I have all this empty mana to do nothing, and oh, wait, no, there we go. Just represent huge threats. All right, uh, well, cool. Well, thanks for you guys for your uh, for your input on those cards, and it is neat to look at the core sets, especially now since the M sets, and we've been getting uh, actual new cards printed. And by new, I mean either you know renamed or actual new. So that's kind of neat to keep track of that. I. I really do like the statistics side of, of Cube, and that's something I'm, I'm hoping to delve more into as far as uh, old versus, you know, old magic versus new magic, you know, old versus modern, and, and the way these core sets have impacted things. Uh, I have here in my uh, notes, too, that there was uh, our poll about the swords. Yeah. Um, want, to, want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mainly want to bring it because, uh, Justin, you did an article about, like, overrated cards and, like, how Sword of Light and Shadow was uh, kind of meh. Or not good. I don't know what what terminology you used to describe the sort of light shadow. I don't know. Overrated? Yeah, overrated for sure. Overrated for sure. So I did a blog poll uh, about ranking the swords, and I'll bring that up right now. I thought it was something interesting because we brought it up on the last episode. So you know, asked people essentially. There was five separate polls, and I said, "What's your favorite sword? What's your second favorite? What's your third, fourth, and fifth?" Um, you know, first, obviously, being Sword of Light, Fire and Ice, because that card is ridiculous. Second was Sword of Feast and Famine. And, like, I think there was this, like, because of the way the voting was done, like, it's not perfect. So what happened was Sword of Fire and Ice was first, Sword of Feast and Famine was second, Sword of Feast and Famine was third, <laughs> third fourth sword was War and Peace, and the fifth was Sword of Light and Shadow. So the way I would probably rank it is that, like... Body and Mind is supposed to be third? I would say Body and Mind is probably fourth, because, like, if you look at the ranking, it's, like, for third, it has Sword of Peace and Famine with 28 votes, War and Peace with 22, Light and Shadow with 10, 
body and mind dying, fire and ice in w- with one. I don't know what the person was thinking, but you never know. Uh, fourth was War and Peace with 25, Light and Shadow with 16, Body and Mind with 16, Beast and Famine 11, and Sword of Fire and Ice at 1. Again, I don't know what that person was thinking, but whatever. <laughs> but I'd probably say because, like, Body and Mind is higher up on the fourth, and it, I think it was kind of on the upper end, and ten, usually I don't tend to vote in the polls, but, like, I think for a while it was, like, a tie between, like, something else and... Uh, I don't know what it was like. Some I, for what, if I had to rank them based on this, I'd probably say Fire and Ice, Feast and Famine, War and Peace, Body and Mind, and Light and Shadow. For me, that sounds fine. Thoughts and, and definitely, I I am agreeing that Light and Shadow. That when I really thought about, it, like you know, I definitely can see it being like the weakest sword. Like it does have really good protections, but its its triggers are just really meh. Oh, I know. I mean, any time that you have to sell something with, all right, if you hit your opponent, you get the healing salve. Woo! Yeah, and you get to grave, you get to bring back something from the grave, which is pretty sweet, but, like, a lot of the times it just felt like it wasn't really that high impact. And, like, that argument was, I think, said about War and Peace at first, but just, like, I don't think that usually applies. Like, it usually just, like, clocks somebody for, like, Eight well, like, or something. Yeah. It's like, well, okay, <laughs> you're going to die soon. Oh, no, I didn't get something on the board. I guess I just kill you. But yeah, yeah I, think I, I always like the tap three mana, untap three mana. How many cards do you have in your hand? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you're not in black. <laughs> they know it's not a discard card. It's like, oh, uh-oh. I mean, I think the most damning thing about Sword of Light and Shadow, and I could go on for probably 20 minutes just talking about how much I don't like Sword of Light and Shadow, but I'll just say this. It's the only one where you're just not concerned if you your opponent hits you or not. All the other ones you're like, oh, shit, I cannot let this hit me. And that <laughs> one you're like, eh, whatever. You're yeah, just sure. like... Yeah, like, Feast and Famine, or, or, yeah, I'm trying to think of all of them pretty much as, like, uh-oh. Especially, like, Body and Mind, I think, tends to get overrated. Like, yeah, like, like oh, my God, you lose so quickly, but, like, a lot of well, times... Body, just, body and Mind's a big problem if you don't have a way to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. You can, like, see the writing on the wall, and you're like, crap, I don't have any way to, to get rid of this thing. And they have, like, you know, it's just a random shadow guy. Like, yeah, that's... That's a lot of trouble. It's like kind of when people play Jace, Jace, uh, five mana Jace. They're like, oh crap, I don't have a whole lot of ways to interact with this. This is not going to end well. Yeah. But Sword of Light and Shadow for sure is one of those that it's only a big deal. It's conditionally a big deal. They're like, Sword of Light and Shadow equip, and you're like, well, ah crap, they have a flame tongue in their graveyard. Well, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'll get back my step links or something. Right, yeah, like who cares? So, yeah. so quick, quick story time about Sword of Light and Shadow. Uh, so we were, uh, at one of the recent invitationals uh, in Atlanta, we were grid drafting. We were team grid drafting. Um, so, I, I don't know, are you guys familiar with grid drafting? I am, but I've never done it with a team. I've only ever done it with a with a two-man and a three-man draft, but I've never done it with uh, a team. So tell me about that. All right, so it's two, three. We did two three-man teams. Uh, what you do is you lay, uh, you have, you know, packs of nine. You lay them out in a three-by-three three grid. And then what you do is you draft a row 
for your team, depending if it's, you know, your pack or not. You draft a row of three cards, and then one card of each part, you know, one of each part of the row goes to one of each of your team members. So you want to draft, you know, a three-card row that helps your three members, because each member has to get one of the cards. So what you do is, you know, you lay out the nine cards, one team drafts a row, and then the other team drafts a row. And then you, you, the last three cards are binned, and you go on to the next one. So every pack, one person, one member of your team is getting a card for each one. Uh, and you, you go back and forth. Um, so we were drafting at the Invitational, and uh, Lauren Nolan, a former Invitational champion and 10K champion, uh, literally his team, the Ohio team, hit four swords. They hit every sword but Light and Shadow. They hit all four of the other ones, except for that our team, our uh, our equipment deck, who was actually playing against them, was paired to play against them, hit the Stoneforge Mystic early. Oh, baby. <laughs> um, and wound up with the uh, Umazawa's Jitta, the Grafted War Gear, and spiked the Sword of Light and Shadow. Here's the thing. Lauren's four-sword deck was a black-white deck. Jeez. <laughs> He got destroyed by Stoneforge Mystic plus Sword of Light and Shadow. Yeah. It was like, well, you may have four swords, and it was like one of the last two packs. It's like, we open the pack, and it's like Sword of Light and Shadow. It's like, you're screwed. And sure enough, crushed them with it. So in that instance, Sword of Light and Shadow greater than the other four swords. There we go. Yeah. I like that. I like it. I like but it. the fact that he got the other four, we're like, no, we can't get all five. You can't Voltron us. This is not fair at all. And it's like, oh, by the way, protection from your deck. Uh-huh. <laughs> so. Nice. Oh, yeah. I like it. It is kind of funny, like, the original swords, like, Sword of Fire and Ice is still the best. After you know, after Scars, Sword of Fire and Ice is still the best. Light and Shadow is still the weakest. And the rest are just kind of in the middle. Oh, but I see. I think I think Feast of Famine is a strong number two. I actually, I, I, I actually like Feast of Famine sometimes more than I like than I like uh, Fire and Ice. I do too. It's, it's become one of my favorite swords by far. Yeah, um, I think the, tier, the I think those two are definitely like tier one, and then under that there's the other three. Well, yeah. the other two, and then you know. I, I can buy that. I can say that those are the tier one swords, but man, it, you know, it took and Feast of Famine is is kind of sneaky good. Um, it's one of those cards you really have to play with and see how valuable not only that this card is, but getting to untap all your lands is actually insane. Yeah. Especially when, like, you don't see it coming and they ha- and you have, like, a hole in your defenses. You're just like, okay, I'm taking two here. And they're like, pay five mana, sword equip, bash, you discard. Okay, I get something else to do on my turn. It's like, what? Like, come on. Oh, and it's so bonkers in the tempo decks, like the light counter spell tempo decks. Oh yeah, I mean that's yeah. you're just like play play all my offensive stuff, crack you. Okay, well now I'm ready for defense now too. Ah, so absurd. I, I dig it all. It, it's it's probably one and one a for me, but there are time. I mean, but there are definitely times where I like one more than the other because you know, dr- killing a creature and, and drawing a card. I mean. There's so much potential there for uh, for abuse, you know, for for value, I should say. And so I go back and forth, but I feel like it's one and one a. Yep. And I was actually one of the people in that poll that voted for Sword of Feast and Famine as their favorite sword. So there I'm were right there with you. There are eight others who agree. I, I still don't get the person who rated Sword of Fire and Ice 
one, uh, for the third word, or the, as their third favorite, fourth favorite, and fifth favorite. Like, I don't get that. It's probably those are the guys who play blue red decks. What? They're the people who play the blue red decks all the yeah, time. They always lose to that card. That's to say. I hate that sword. It always beats me. I can't <laughs> stupid. They need to take it out. I'm, I, I'll show them. I'm voting it fifth. I did have some. I know. I know somebody who took like all the swords out of their cube because like he thought they were too good. And I, I may have talked about this. Oh, you mean castle. wizards? No. <laughs> oh, that too. Yeah. But yeah, like he took out like both of his swords out. He's like, I'm like, why'd you take the swords out of your cube? And aggro is is pretty bad in his cube anyway. But like, I'm like, your aggro is not is is not really that great, and it's just making things worse. And he was like, well, I played. There was somebody who played my cube, and he got destroyed by. And this was when there was just the OG swords, so I don't know if he I was like he was in a white black deck or if he was an Izzet deck, and the other guy played the sword and just crushed him, and the other guy got really pissed and like threw his deck. I'm just like instead of banning the swords, why don't you just ban the man child and keep the good cards in your cube? Exactly. So Lord, yeah, so how do you feel let's I mean, let me just get a one word reaction from Justin here. So Justin, they at one point in time wizards thought that black aggressive decks were too good in the cube. Thoughts? Their argument wasn't that it was too good, like, black was too good, but it's like, the swords are too good against black, and they have no way to defend themselves, which is also just not true. But, like, that was the argument. I mean, granted, it still makes no sense at But they all. took Vampire Nighthawk out at the same time. The, the argu- I think, like, somebody, I think, like, Zach Hill or something said it's like, he thought Vampire Nighthawk wasn't good. Like, he's like, ah, oh, the decks I play, uh, Vampire Nighthawk's no good against it or something. Or, you have to look into your eyes and say that? Because I don't think that's possible. Yeah, I was just like, when he said that, I was just like, blink, blink. Next question. Yeah, I was just like, what? <laughs> Man, I've heard not good. Like, what? Ah, uh, yes. And then, I think, that, and I, honestly, like, I actually agree with their logic as far as this is a step you can take to make black better, but I think it's like one of the last steps if you've tried everything else and instead they just didn't and they were just like, yep, too good. Better take out some good black cards and the swords that are good against black. Mm-hmm. Everything that says protection from black, you're out. You're fired. I think they, but they kept Marin Crusader. Oh. And that's Dude. one of the best ones, right? I mean, that's, that's like that, that'd be the best one. That's, yeah, I was going to say, that's the best one. Yeah. Like, Paladin on Vec, whatever. I don't care about you. Vec, yeah. Yeah, uh, that whole thing was just like, what? No. What about if Paladin in Vec had lifelink? Whoa! Oh, no, so much foreshadowing. Well, I, I guess we, with our, that's our third reference, you know, the, whenever you get the third time, like Beetlejuice, it's it's time to actually move on. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's actually talk about some M14 cards for for reals, dude. Um, but real quick, uh, let, let's do a quick aside. Shocking, right? Oh, my God, the third power is talking about something besides cube cards. What? Uh, how do you think, uh, the Planeswalker, and let's let's talk about the new Planeswalker and Legend rule, and and talk about what impact, if any, it's it's going to have on on the cube. Uh, the the new rule is basically that um, everybody's allowed to have their own copy of their Planeswalkers or their Legends. Um, you're no longer allowed to have two copies. You can only have one. If you ever wind up with two, you choose which one to keep. So uh, in the olden days, back back when I used to play Magic all the time. Uh, there was only a, a, one legend allowed on the field at a time, and the first one brickwalled the remainders. Yeah, that uh, rule was terrible. I don't know what they were thinking with the old legend rule. 
and, and that was you know relevant for a number of reasons, uh, especially in the Rebels mirror, yeah. uh, first, first person to Lin City, uh, and, and who didn't have the uh, Rebel Informer or whatever was uh, was the winner. Um, also, Legendary used to be a creature type, so there was a blue enchantment that you could change creatures types. It was uh, I can't remember what it was. It was a blue enchantment that you could pay one and change a type of the creature. Probably like uh, selection from Apocalypse. Yeah, like some sort of something selection or... Uh, so basically what you can do is if people had two copies of the same creature, you can just pay your mana and make them both a legendary and they'd have to kill. Wow. is unnatural selection, looks like. Unnatural selection, that sounds right. Um, but now what you're allowed to do is basically you can, in constructed formats, you can go turn three dice of same draft, go, and then they can untap and they can go Turn three, Geist of Saint Trapped, or or some various clone on turn four, and they have one too. Um, the only time you ever have to sacrifice them is if you uh, control two of the same type. So you could play your Jace three, they could play their Jace four, and then if you wanted to play your Jace four, you would have to either choose to get rid of your own Jace three or Jace four. You can only have one Jace at a time. Um, I think one of the big ways this is going to come into play is going to be, in standard at least, is uh, the nine-mana jund play of four-mana Olivia, use five-mana, take your Olivia. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, wow. And, yeah. You know, that's going to be, I, I think, one of the, the bigger ways it's going to impact standard. But what about cube? Um, obviously, we don't have doubles of creatures, but we do like to play clones, um, and occasionally there are some planeswalkers that you have multiples of. Uh, I don't feel like it's going to have a huge impact, except for the way that clones play out, and sometimes how you know you just really need an answer to their legend, and we're going to lose one of those. Uh, what do you guys think? Well, I think for planeswalkers, it certainly helps green, since all of their planeswalkers are the rook. So. A lot of times when you're drafting green decks, especially like mono green or green splashing something else, you, in my experience, tend to end up with more than one. So it's pretty sick being able to play a Garuk plus it, then play another Garuk on the same turn or on the next turn. I don't know how relevant that's going to be or how much it's going to come up, but it certainly... It helps them not get stranded in your hand if they don't need to be, which I sure. think is probably one of the more important things. Right, or like that the, the aforementioned triple Ajani deck exactly uh, that I oh, have, wow. where you could you know you could do something like you know uh, activate the negative ability on my jo- uh, my three drop Ajani, then play my four drop Ajani, put a counter on them all, and attack you with my double strike flying vigilance bigger guy, you know, instead of having to sit around and, and hope that that one dies so you can play your Johnny engine or, you know, something like that. I think it's the, the ability to be able to upgrade on some of those multiple uh, multiple name ones. You know, we have lots of, you know, some cubes have as many as, uh, you know, we have the option to have four chases now um, or, you know, three Garooks or uh, well, four Garooks, right? I guess. Four Garooks. Yeah. If the, if the possibility, the possibility is there to have four. Um, what about the what about the role of clones? Thank you. I think that one comes up uh, infrequently, but it's so 
I feel like emotionally, it's going to make people feel bad initially when they cannot kill a legendary permanent that their opponent controls. Just like it's going to in standard. Um, but if this was if this was the rule from the beginning, I don't think people would feel like that. But inevitably, that's going to happen. Um, I don't know. It's 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 such a corner case that I'm sure. Like in the case of Olivia, is a good example. Like that and Thrun are probably the two that are going to be the most frustrating because with Olivia, you can't kill it, and you're also probably not going to be able to have access to its abilities, which makes Olivia good. And then with Thrun, they're just brick-walling each other unless you have green mana. And if you don't, then you just have a 4-4 four, four with Hexproof that's just going to die to theirs when you block. So, I mean, those are, the, those are really the only two that I feel like it's going to be like a negative interaction. I think everything else is fine, and it's going to be mostly relevant. So I've been yeah, cubing yeah. with the new rules since it got announced. Over and under on it mattering ten times. Uh, under. Under. Five. Over yeah. or under? Under. Under. Ding, ding, ding. Twice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was like twice. I was like... Yeah, I, I, had first... a, I had a feeling it would be low, but... Yeah, it wasn't that, really... I think I think it was the first week someone was like, eh, I don't want to take Phantasmal Image. It's not as good. I'm like, are you are you drunk? More Phantasmal Image for me. Yeah, I was like, I'll take that. Thank you. Sure. And I think, like, somebody... I would like, like a Geist of Saint Trap, too. Thank I think you. he tried like uh, like there was a time when somebody opponent had his opponent had like Jace Mind Sculptor and he had like Architect of Thought and he would have like killed his opponent's Jace with his Jace, um, but he, I mean he cast it anyway because he needed cards, but it didn't matter because it got counterspelled. And then I think there was another time when somebody cast a Garrick and his opponent had a Garrick and you know. That was about it. Like whatever. Yeah, I could definitely see uh, feel bads happening when you want to be able to cap your opponent's mind sculptor because yeah. the card is just so powerful yeah. that you want you know more. You like having more answers to it, but I, I have a feeling it will be mostly irrelevant. Um, yeah. Just like just like the the blocking order thing is mostly irrelevant because it hasn't really changed. I, I thought it would change games a lot more than it actually has. Um, you know, things of that nature, but I, you know, I think we'll we'll be mostly untouched by it. Um, I heard just, people, like there are times when it could, it might be a positive interaction, where there might be some neat things you can do because of it. We're seeing some people like trying to like saying, oh, "I'm going to take these cards, clones out of my cube." I'm like, no, just just don't. No, they're still, yeah, still good. Still good. Here's what if if you know, and the way I feel about it is is that if your clones are good enough to play because you need to kill their creatures. Why aren't they good enough for you to get your own copy of said awesome creature that you really wanted to kill? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Especially since, like, Phyrexian Metamorph and Phantasmal Image are, like, the two strongest clones ever printed by a huge margin. Yeah. I don't know why you'd ever... I mean, like, I routinely first pick Phantasmal Image in my cube because that card is just so incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, like, with that... I, I don't think anything could ever happen to make me take the card out of my cube, especially not something insignificant as this. I remember, like, uh, when Justin, you and I were talking about, like, the cards from the core sets. We're talking about, like, how Phantasmal Image is a core card. I'm like, that was a... Yeah. Huh. Awfully complicated. What? <laughs> I just remember being, oh, look, two mana clones. Sweet. This card should be pretty good. Yeah. I was pretty much in the same boat. I'm like, this card's going to be... Abs- this card seems dumb. And, yeah, yeah, it turns out. It's, uh, surprise, surprise. 
as good as advertised. All right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's actually get into some M14 cards. Let's uh, let you know. Let's let's just jump right in. How about we start with white cards, as they always seem to be the first on like the uh, visual spoilers or whatever. And let's start with a uh, let's start with a doozy. Um, what we'll do is we'll uh, you know we'll read the name of the card. We'll talk about what uh, what it does briefly um, to give people a chance to have had you know, an opportunity to look at spoilers or who may be in a, a travel or work situation where they can't just say, oh, well, let me go look up on Gatherer what this card does. Um, so the first card is Archangel of Thune, or Thune, however you like to say it. It's a uh, three white white for a three four flying lifelink, and whenever you gain life, creatures you control get a plus one plus one counter, and it is a mythic rare. I personally dig this card. Um... I think they're white. While white certainly does have a lot of powerful five-drop creatures, um, I think this this card does a reasonably good impression of, of playing offense and defense. Um, because I imagine attacking into it without killing it, it could be real bad for you between the life link and the and the growing ability. Yeah, I think that's true. That's not something really I was I had thought about when I was evaluating a card. I think. Um, it definitely appears, despite its stats of being a three, four, four, five, it doesn't appear to be defensive. But um, yeah, when the turn that you drop it, it's for an aggro deck. Unless you're you're rolling with flame tongue kabu, that four toughness is is usually kind of the magic number that uh, makes something much more difficult to kill than if it was a three. So mm-hmm. it definitely has more merit. Now it certainly. It, it is certainly not even approaching Baneslayer Angel levels. No, no Baneslayer is absurd. But then again, you know, not not much is. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think and, when uh, Kenny, I think when Kenny Mayer and I were talking about it, I think because I think I was I was a fan of it before, and I was talking with him about it, and you know, usually me and him talk about cube stuff, and I was like, hey, what did you think? And I think people were down on it because they were comparing it to Baneslayer. They're like, oh, this card's not Baneslayer. I'm like. Yeah, I wish all my creatures were Bane Slayers. Like, yeah. I was like, yeah, I wish uh, all my red creatures were Goblin Guide. What, what, what is this? <laughs> well, if you have Phantasmal Image, then you have a Bane Slayer too. They call that a callback in the comedy industry. <laughs> oh, look at that! <laughs> I like that. So, I like well, it. Thank you, thank you. But yeah, I, I mean, I, it's certainly you know, I, I'm not playing it over Cloud Goat Ranger. I'm not playing it over, even though I think it works well with Cloud Goat Ranger. Um, I think it certainly has the ability to work well with token decks because the the worldwide you know the the wide anthem that you get on gaining life uh, is no joke. I mean, it's a permanent plus one plus one, including itself, which I think is actually relevant. Um, yeah. But you really certainly can't attack into this. I mean, if you're you know rolling with you know your deck of two ones and two twos uh, or th- you know three twos. If you're attacking into this, I mean, you're going to have a, you know, they're gaining three life, most likely negating one of your attackers. They're blocking, which is negating one of your attackers. And on the swing back, they're probably, you know, they can just gain even four more life back and get bigger creatures. So, I'm not quite sure. I think it's more of a room issue on how big your cubes are and, and whether you have room for something like this more than it being good enough. I certainly think it's, it can be good enough. I just don't know how... How much better than, than, than everything else you to find room for it. Um, and also has some cute interactions too. So, uh, 
think about cards like uh, Umazawa's Jitta, which just becomes like a, a repeatable. Oh God! Um, oh God! <laughs> a, a, a repeatable multi anthem for your team, or uh, if people include cards like uh, or Scavenging Goose, another card in the set, gain a life. It's got oh. plus two, plus two, and everything else is bigger. Christine Talisman. <laughs> right, right. Christine Talisman, a card you may be using, you know, that very well could be in the same deck. I mean, even things like, uh, you know, those are obviously a little bit absurd, but what if you are one of those people that like cards like uh, um, Soul Warden and those those Elfa cards? I mean, that, that's another thing. Or the, even just the Kitchen Things, right? I mean, yeah, Kitchen Things just things never dies, right? Because even when it comes back into play, you gain your life and it gets the counter again. Yep. So it just literally can't die. You know what other card's good with it? Sword of Light and Shadow. Oh, oh baby! <laughs> Another callback? <laughs> oh, my God. So nice. So I, and while those certainly aren't, you know, super major cases, those are a little more corner casey, but those are all cards that could certainly live in the same deck. Absolutely. Uh, so I guess it's just a matter of, is it better and worthy of inclusion over maybe some of the second-tier token cards. Things like uh, Sign of Ikugazi or Dice Tata Monk, I, I think is kind of where it slots in as far as overall. I, I don't know if you guys tend to agree with that, but that's kind of where I feel like it is. Um, but it might be best alongside those cards rather than in place of. Um, so I, I'm not exactly sure where to put this, but I think it's certainly worth trying out. Unfortunately, unfortunately, trying out Mythics, if you actually want the real card, is the, the best financial situation to be in. Yeah. Especially when they're Mythic and Angels. You know, Aren't they as, selling? As, as was told by Sublime Archangel, trying to get a full Sublime Archangel last year, which was fun. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm right in the same boat with you. It's really just, for most people, it's just going to be a space issue. Uh, the unfortunate thing is, Almost all of the cards that you would be taking out of your cube to put in Archangel, this Archangel, are the cards that it's good with. So you kind of have to decide, like, which direction do you want to go? Do you have enough room? Do you want to take a card out from another part of your your white section? And white is just so incredibly deep. Like, I honestly think it's the deepest color in cube, just in general, whether whether it's a powered cube or non-powered cube, or even just, like, a common-uncommon cube. I mean, it's just, like... Every rarity, there is incredible depth. So, and I think that's really. I, I, I've noticed. I think I mentioned that. I don't know if it was an earlier podcast or an article, or maybe I was just rambling with somebody. But I felt like white has been on such a steady climb since Path to Exile was printed. Yeah, it was right yeah. around that time that white really started to turn the corner because they had just gotten Elspeth uh, in the previous set. And then, like, Pad Dex, like, gets printed, and, like, from there, it just seems like it's really, because for a long time, white was the worst color of the oh, I think sure. it was a big, I think it was a big apology for Rebels. Like, Rebels, I think, was the thing, and then it kind of died. They kind of, like, toned it down. Kind of like what they did with blue for a while. Like, or I guess for a while, I mean, Shards block. Like, they made blue pretty bad. But, yeah, I think, although I think Lorwyn, like, White got some decent stuff in Lorwyn, like at least Revel Arc and Cloud Goat. I think maybe Lorwyn might have been the start of the, the like the White Renaissance, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I, I just really felt like it really hit for me 
a, a tipping point, maybe, I guess, right around when Path Exile was printed. Um, yeah. Now, okay, White is really starting to climb the ranks of cube quality. I guess. Mm-hmm. I think I think white is like secretly the best color in cube, just because it is the only color that can compete in every single stage of the game at every mana cost, and you can do any anything you want with it. Aggro, mid range, control doesn't really have any combo elements, but I mean even still when you have stuff like Revelark and Karmic Guide, it's just there's just so much depth at at every point. And it's the only color I can say that. Well, and it's got planeswalk. It's got some of the best planeswalkers as well, quality top to bottom. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, because you certainly have, and there, and the planeswalkers play a variety of roles too. Like Elspeth fits very well into all the different theaters that that's. Uh, Gideon Jorup fits pretty well into the, the, all the different theaters that that's. Um, you know, it's the Ajani's are are actually you know pretty good too. So I think that's certainly part of it. And I think Archangel, you know, I guess we say this a lot when you play something like Modern Magic, had it been printed, you know, four years ago, four or five years ago, you know, just be like, oh, yeah. Windmill slam it in. Mm -hmm. This card's sweet. Get it in there. But we've had so many vibes, you know, printed since then that I think it's just a space issue. And, you know, I I certainly think it's worth a a, a check out to see how it is. Uh, And and, and that's about as as big of an endorsement I can right now, but that's yeah. not necessarily a putting down the cards, just that, you know, you're a pretty good company there. Yeah. Also, one thing I guess that I always mention, like, like with Elishnorn, how, like, we learned there was always, like, seems like there are always a lot of, like, random 2-2s and 1-1s that kind of just did their job and they're just hanging out, like, like a wall, like a, I don't know, man or something. It's like, hey, I did my thing. What's up? And it gives, like, Elastorn like pushed those over the top where it got people to realize, hey, you know, because I think that was one of the talking points, and I think we talked about that as well. Is like, what's going to happen on turn seven? The anthem's not going to be worth anything, and who cares? It turns out the plus two plus two was pretty big game on that, and it's like kind of the same way where it's just like, you know, when I've been testing, it's like there'll be like two twos and just like a wall of roots or just some other just random stuff just hanging out, and they just get bigger, and then they become their own threats. Well, well, think, well, this has already been a recurring theme for this podcast, and what have we been talking about multiple times? Hey, this card, whether it be Master Biomancer, whether it be Wolf Run, turns your late-game idiots into legitimate threats. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think this can certainly fit into, uh, and that's one of the reasons why equipment is so good, one of the many reasons. Uh, By the way, I've gotten more people locally to use the word pants for equipment. Like, I've nice. been pushing that term. Yeah, I've been pushing the term pants. It's just like caught on, like yes. Yeah, pants. I like pants. Adam hates pants, but it's okay. But yeah, I I I feel like that's where it is. So. So there. I'm there talking. I'm talking about Usman. You guys want to do a little rotation here? We can talk. To, we can introduce the cards so they don't have to listen to one of our voices babble the whole time. Oh, I guess I could do it. Yeah, sure. Uh, let's, let's share. Ship Your turn. Ship. Okay, Banisher Priest. One double white, two two. When Banisher Priest enters the battlefield, exile another exile target creature and opponent controls until Banisher Priest leaves the battlefield. I'm definitely a big fan of the improved wording, like not for a flavor standpoint or a cube standpoint, just because it instinctively makes sense. It's very clean. 
Yeah. And I'm definitely a big fan of that, as opposed to when this enters the battlefield and enters, leaves the battlefield, and it's just like, what? This, like, like when I was, like, when you first have, like, the, uh, like the nightmare butcher trick, like, happen to you, it's like, what? That doesn't even make sense. Like, with this trigger on the stack, you bounce it, and it's like, what? That doesn't even make sense. And, and, you know, this, you know, obviously makes it so that you can't do those tricks. Like, you can't do the crystal shard and erratic portal things. But, I mean, honestly, I think this guy's fine. I think he's pretty good. I think he's awesome. I think he's awesome. I think, uh, I think as for my cube, I feel like when I come back a year from now and look at this set, um, this is going to be one of the three best cards in this set for cubes. Wow. So that's, that's an, I like the endorsement. Please go on. I, I, I do agree that I think it's very good. And I think it's like, I heard some people talking about like, Oh, I don't want to put this. You can't do the tricks. And I'm like, how many, Oh, that's such so corner case. That, yeah, so, like so how many cool. how many of those stupid corner cases you have? Like inner deck two, one. Oh no, you can't do a crystal shard anymore. Who cares? But yeah, I'm sorry, I can't need you. <laughs> no, you're fine. I'm gonna let you finish, but Banisher Priest gonna be awesome in a year. Uh, I mean, I feel like this is like everything that I want for a white aggro deck. Um, it has it has one more power than Fiend Hunter. Um, I would not have a problem having both in my cube. I think this is the exact kind of redundant effect you want your aggro decks to have, or just any decks in general. I mean, like, um, even in a control deck, if you can play this guy on turn three, remove a guy, keep one of their guys out of play for two or three turns, and then trade him back later, you've gained such a significant amount of time that uh, it's, even though they get their creature back, he's certainly done its damage to get you a later stage of the game. And when you're on offense, removing a card like a worm coil engine at no cost to you doesn't give them any tokens or anything. Um, and then he can attack for two. I mean, this is kind of just all I want at, at this mana cost for a creature with this effect. It's it's pretty much like, it's kind of, it's, it's perfect for what I'm looking for for my cube. Have you ever had like the... OMG mid-combat blowout people get so scared about with Fiend Hunter because I honestly don't think I ever have when I've I run mean, it in my I, th- I think it has happened to me once or twice but I mean that's certainly not that's like saying oh well Grafted Warrior's bad because they can disenchant it yeah exactly it's, like well, <laughs> it's also good because you're killing the shit out of your opponent while they're not disenchanting it yeah <laughs> it's like oh no as it turns out yeah, I like the fact that it attacks for two. Um, that's one of the big, I guess, drawbacks to Fiend Hunter, is that it just doesn't hit hard enough. Yeah. Um, when you're in that plan of, you know, you get your one drop, one drop, one drop, or one drop, two drop, and then you're like, well, you're your blocker, but this isn't helping. I think this certainly helps a lot towards that. Um, while not as durable against opponents' aggro creatures, um, the two toughness really is is mostly irrelevant versus burn spells. Most things that deal two, deal three. Yep. Um, fairly easily, except for something like Arc Trail or like a uh, Unkick person. Oh, what are you guys doing? Cats <laughs> <laughs> just wrestled into my trombone and knocked it over. <laughs> oh. it was in the case. It's in the case, so it's fine or whatever. But I just saw it tilting like 
slow motion as they're ah. scattering around the house. So there's, there's our first cat incident of the podcast. It was only a matter of time until they made their presence known. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, the, and, and while, you know, yeah, sure, everybody's talking about the uh, trigger, that you don't get to, to putz around with the trigger and do things. Uh, I think another thing that people are overlooking, even though once it is a corner case, but it's not blank, it sends target creature and opponent controls. Yep. Um, oh, so you can't which, persecute her. Oh, no. So, right. So you so you can't do things like that. Um, with Bean Hunter before, I've definitely done the... Or, or uh, when the other one, the four-drop black one, uh, Faceless Butcher, uh, used to be in the queue back in the day. I've, I've definitely run the get rid of my best creature, get rid of all the creatures or all the things thereby bringing my good creature back to reign, reign supreme. Oh, um, I like that. I, I've done it before with, like, uh, I had a green, I had a white-red, like, big mana, basically, blow up all the things deck, and I was like, you know, fiend hunter my gazella, and then obliterate. And then... You like, hide it under the fiend hunter, and then... All right. Right. <laughs> Right, duck it out of the way. Because, you know, it's like one of those things where even though Gazelle is pretty unbeatable when on the board, uh, if you're playing against a black deck, it's one of the, the few times it's pretty vulnerable. And, like, you know, if you can actually just win the game, why not, you know, not give them a chance to, to, to get to draw themselves out of it? So you do lose that. It's a very small, very, very small portion of the time. Um, but the other thing, too, that I don't think is irrelevant is the fact that it's a human. Um, I think if... There are lots of people out there. there I don't know if you guys have noticed, but more and more of the white aggressive creatures are humans. And what this means is that um, if people want to push more tribal type things, like with a champion of the parish or things like that, this is another card that fits into that strategy as well. I, I don't think that's completely irrelevant, and I think it might matter going forward. Yeah. Because I mean, a champion of the parish is a fine man, and, and with how many, with how many humans there are, and we'll we'll get into that even more later. I mean, uh, you know, maybe it's relevant. I don't know. Maybe it's relevant because of Stromkirk Noble too. You know, on the on the flip side. Or uh, uh, Kenny Mayer of Averbrook. Right, right. If you play Mayor of Mayor of Averbrook, exactly. Like, that's that's another way it could matter. So you know, I, I, those are small things, but I wanted to point out. But this card, I feel like, is as close to as close to an automatic inclusion if you're supporting attacking white decks as, as it can be. Um, however, possibly not as automatic as what we'll get to later. In my oh. opinion. Hmm. Alright. So, thumbs up? Thumbs up. Yep. Alright, keep moving. Justin's turn. Alright. So, uh, the next card we have is Celestial Flare, which is an instant for white-white. It's pretty simple, and it's just target opponent sacrifices an attacking or blocking creature. What do you guys oh, think yeah. about nice for Nice for Popper Cube. Don't really care much for other formats, I guess. Yep. What was the old Storm card? There was only attacking creatures, right? It was one white-white. Yeah, Wing Shards. Wing Shards, yeah. They had to sacrifice an attacking creature. For each uh, copy, right? Correct. Yeah. Wings. It kind of reminds me of this, but I think it's interesting that there is that blocking creature is included too. 
I do think that's somewhat interesting. I don't know how relevant it is because of the fact that unless you have trample, once a creature's blocked, they're just blocked, you know? So I don't think that matters too much, but... Well, I guess it's like if you're attacking with a 2-2 into, like, a titan or something. Like, ah, oh, gotcha! Right, yeah. yeah, I guess you can just, like, trick people into... You know, it's like, do I have the trick? Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, most of the time you can read a mile away. That was the infamous uh, next snap, and what was the... Uh, Divine Verdict? Was that the yeah, Divine Verdict. Yep. They, like, leave their four mana off and attack with their 1-1, and you're like... I'll take one. Come on. All right. Got four cards in hand. Don't have any cards to cast. Uh-huh. Oh, I, got, I just didn't have anything else to do with that four mana. So I feel like this could probably read that way. I don't know, man. I feel like there's way better spells in white or way better costs than white white. Yeah, totally. I, I, don't, I guess I'm, I'm just not feeling this one very much. Yeah, I think this is a a pauper exclusive and not really much else out of that. And and even then, it's not even an auto include. It, it's probably good enough uh, just because there's a the, the best white removal is an uncommon. So when you go to just commons, you lose a lot of that. So this might be good there. Uh, sure. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's quite legitimate. So so relevant on that in that sense, but maybe not so much overall. You hear us, Adam Staborski? Relevant for your... Alright. Next card is Fiendslayer Paladin. Now, this is, uh, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. Fiendslayer Paladin is a 2-2 for one white-white. Um, so it is a 2-2 first strike lifelink, and it cannot be the target of a black or red spells your opponents control. So... Basically, we get, an, for an extra mana, we get a, uh, a slightly upgraded Knight of Meadow Rain. Or we get, uh, from Paladin Infect, we trade uh, a good amount of the protection ability in exchange for Lightning. Although we get pretty sweet artwork. Yeah, artwork's beautiful. That is true. Maybe the best artwork in the set. It is pretty awesome. Yeah, that is pretty spectacular looking. Um... Since I let off, I'm not really feeling this guy either. Um, I, I think the ha- having played against Paladin and back in, and considering actually cutting it uh, fairly soon, um, this I know how backbreaking Paladin and back can be against certain decks, just because you can't attack through it because of the protection. You just brick walls like your uh, brick walls, your guys. Um, can't even get, like, the hasty tramplers through it because, you know, they're, they're too fragile because of the first strike. I'm not feeling that we should pay an extra mana over, like, Knight of Meta Rank for this, especially considering how good the the threes have gotten in one as well. So, I, I, I mean, maybe you guys feel differently, but that's kind of where I'm at with this card. I agree. Yep. Uh, I... I, I barely want to pay white white for nine meta grain. I certainly don't want to pay white white one for my nine meta grain plus marginal ability. Right. Yeah. And besides, and you and we got a lot of like flames on Kabu kind of things which it can't even protect against, which is kind of yeah. Well, and also too, you know, it, I, I think it's interesting that it's only spells and not spells or abilities. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's not. Oh, wow! It's it's only target. It doesn't even prevent the damage. So you can't just like you can't wildfire. Oh, see, this deal just keeps getting worse. Yep. Right. Like there's there's actually just it still gets pyroclasm, or yep. whatever. 
like, and, and I don't know, so, like, I, I feel like the protection, you know, because there's, there's this whole cycle of, of these hate creatures in M14, as you'll see, most of which are three mana, and I feel like this protection is just, ugh, I don't feel like it's remotely as good of hate text as what the other, uh, what the other ones possess. So I, I'm on the I'm in, I'm on the pass train on this one. Totally agree. All right, all aboard. Let's move on. <laughs> Should I do this one? The highest. Yeah, it's, it's it's your turn. The highest series, two and a white for sorcery. Man, I got the great card here. But two colorless. Two one one colorless sliver creature tokens onto the battlefield. All right, so nope, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. All right, so so slivers. So you know, we talked earlier about uh, uh, tribal interactions. Do we have enough? And you know, maybe we, this is something maybe for the end of the podcast. But I still don't feel like we have enough to have a sliver tribal in a cube. I think it's just way too spread across multiple colors. Unlike humans in white, uh, zombies, as we'll talk about a little more, I'm sure, in black, uh, merfolk in blue, goblins in red, um, I don't know what, elves in green, I guess. Um, yeah. I feel like all of those tribes are much more focused, and you could actually assemble something resembling a tribal deck, where the sliver deck, they just it's just so spread out across all the colors that I feel like it would just, it would just be a lot of dead weight in your cube. I mean, just think back to Time Spiral Draft, for those of you that, that were drafting then. Um, and Slivers were, it was something you could draft because there were a ton of them in the set. But a lot of times, even the kind of, not the, the best ones, but like the mid-range, like the mid-level Slivers still went like 14th and 15th pick. And that's that's an irregular draft Environment. Like uh, like battering sliver what was yeah. that six mana four four trample or something? Yeah, which is which a one that So I, I can't imagine that there is enough. If you're as, assuming you're sticking to the only one of each card rule that most cubers do, but not all. Um, if you're doing that, there's there's just there's just not going to be enough. They're not going to be powerful enough either right. way. And like I said, I think even if you jam a bunch of them, I, I think they were just too spread up, spread apart across the colors. I mean, you know, that some of the best ones, you know, if we're just looking in a nutshell, some of the best ones are a black-white sliver. You know, there's the Vindicate sliver. There's, the, you know, the Lightning Helix sliver that's in red-white. Um, yeah, we have other good white ones, like we have the uh, Sydney sliver, but then Muscle sliver is in green, and uh, Crystalline sliver is in white-blue. And you know what I mean? And the uh, Bird of Paradise slivers, of which there are now going to be two of them, are in green. So it's kind of like, well, well, where where are we? We're like a city sliver, and you know, it just feels a little too spread out. At least before, um, in their first iteration, they were good in Aether Vial decks, but just in general, not, uh, because they all cost two. So you can basically just jam your vials on two and just play your free guys all day long. But they're just so spread out now that I just don't think this card is. Even if you're a heavy token support deck, I would rather raise some alarms or, or join some ranks or, or do a variety of other things and, and stir some hives. Were the puns like Dintu's? The only reason I put this on here was because he said he had like a ton of puns, or is that for the article? I, I'm saving them. I'm saving them, dude. Ah. I'm saving them. I can't give away all my worst, I mean, best jokes all at the same time. 
But I think I think the talk of tribal though, um, you know, if there if there's the if there was ever the OG tribal deck, it's this one, right? The sliver deck has been around like before the really even before the, the really good goblin decks or Murphook decks. Uh, the sliver deck was the competitive tribal deck forever. I mean, uh, counter slivers. Um, so I, I definitely think it's worth bringing up. I'm also curious to see, you know, and slight tangent here, but I almost, I have trouble imagining that Theros is not going to be a tribal set, because why would you print a bunch of tribal cards, uh, like Slivers in this set, along with Mutavolt, and then not take it any further after this, when the previous block really has no tribal interactions? I mean, Innistrad did. To be fair, were there any, um... Like, when they printed all, the, like, the Illusion Tribal, did they expound on that in future sets, like, in outside of the core set? No, they didn't. It was exclusively to uh, M11, I believe. Right, huh. yeah, the uh, Illusionary, the Bear, and the Dragon, and all that kind of stuff. Phantasmal uh, Image. Phantasmal Image, yeah. Oh, it did. So, yeah, that's you know, I was thinking it may be like that, where it's just, like, confined to the one set, and it's like, you can build this deck in this <laughs> one set. But I think slivers are too popular to people. Yeah. I don't think they just want to... While illusions, I could see maybe them doing that, and people aren't going to complain that they didn't get any more cards to interact with them. I, I think slivers are historically way too popular a tribe to just dangle a little carrot and then walk away from it and not do anything more. Yeah, I mean, this is their fourth iteration. Wow. Okay. Yeah? Which is which is pretty incredible for something that is that is always just a an isolated creature type that comes back as opposed to something like elves and goblins which are omnipresent throughout every every block so yeah I, I, I think I tend to agree with the uh, the tribal focus in Theros especially with a, a rare like Door of Destiny is being reprinted yes oh, that's another one exactly and uh, Gavin wrote an article on the mothership about Door of Destiny saying it was not constructed playable the first time we want to make it constructed playable this time well, that's going to happen. Right, it's not right now unless you're jamming like the leftover zombie decks from yeah. uh, from a while ago, which actually may, might be. Uh, I think Gerard even wrote something about it today. That, that that's something that you might want to be pretty soon here um, because of some new interactions that you pick up. But but yeah, I, I you know I, I just I'm just not feeling slivers unless something else happens here, and I. I I can't help but think that we're going to be seeing more changeling-type creatures or something going on tribally in, uh, in Theros. I, I think it's hard for them to, to pay, uh, pay an homage to this iteration of a classically loved tribe and then leave it at that. Where I think, I don't know, you know maybe I'm crazy, but I, I could see them being much happier doing that with illusions than with slivers. But they did that with legions, though. Like one of the sets, like legions or scourge, like where they printed tribal like slivers and onslaught, and they just kind of just like were like, yep, all right, we're done. Yeah, it also wasn't a core set though either. Though it was kind of that's just true. Like, uh, hey, here's some here since we're you know since we're gonna have a set with a bunch of since it's all creatures, we better throw a bone to some <laughs> to some other uh, creature types. But you know, that's also a different era of magic design too. I think they were much more willing to, to toss things about haphazardly than they yeah. are. I, I think the, with the reduced set size and everything, I think they're much more careful about what they're including and what they're not including nowadays as far as, you know, 
uh, making sense. So it, it just it just strikes me as suspicious that we're not going to see anything else. Knock on wood. So I knock on wood. All right. Knock, 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 on wood. <laughs> you better not, 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 on wood. <laughs> All right. Next card. All right. Next. This is a, this is a sweet one. This is probably. Uh, this is probably my favorite card. It's going to be my favorite card in the set to play with. Whether it turns out to be as awesome as it looks remains to be seen. But Imposing Sovereign, one and a white for a 2-1, also a human, and it has the very simple text of creatures your opponents control enter the battlefield tapped. This guy is... This guy seems like he's exactly what you want, in a two-drop for white. His mana cost is perfect. This is not double white, but one and a white. He has the magical two-power, and he makes your opponent not block. And we don't know what else you want. Kind of just all right there for him. Yeah, this is probably... This is the card that I think is just like a automatic inclusion. I suppose testing could prove that maybe it's not as good as it looks. But good lord, this card is awesome. I mean, for, for those of you who have ever played turn one guy, turn two Talia... In cube and know how good that feels. Oh wow! Yeah. Um, th- or in constructed, this guy I think has much the same uh, thing. I was really trying to find a reason to include blind obedience in my cube uh, when it when it came out because of this exact ability. I mean, sure, it's got a slightly you know slightly different uh, aspect to it, but the fact that, that in aggressive decks that they, your opponents can't block. Is such a huge deal um, in aggressive decks, and, and you know there, it's happened to me multiple times over the course of you know my Magic history of playing against people that when your guys come to play tap and your opponent's attacking, it's real hard to win. It's yep. real hard to win. Also, any game that you go turn two, turn one, any spell, turn two, imposing sovereign, turn three, tangle wire. Huh. That's it. <laughs> Yeah. Also, bang, you're done. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, just, just brutal. Just, and I, I can't help but feel this is a perfect, perfectly designed card for those white aggressive decks. Um, might I, might I add, uh, much maligned by some, uh, by some cubers, the uh, the white aggressive, the mono white or uh, white based aggressive deck. Um, I, I feel like this is a card that can enable you to win without needing an Armageddon card. That with, you know, combined with some of your other disruptive elements like our, our, our now two theme hunters and some removal, I feel like this is a card that you can just you just get there because it's disruptive enough. You know, mix in, mix in Talia for flavor uh, afterwards, but I mean, this, this could be serious speaking. And I, I feel like this is a uh, a slam dunk conclusion at least to start. Hundred percent, hundred percent agree. Yep. Sweet. You want to talk about any of these other white cards here, or do we want to move on along? We can um, move along. Path of Bravery just seems like it's a big do nothing, honestly. The uh, I guess I'll read it out loud. <laughs> as long as your life total is greater than your opponent's, then your equal life. Greater than or equal to your starting life total, creatures you control get plus one, plus one. Whenever you 
one or more creatures you control attack, you gain life equal to the number of attacking creatures. Meh. No. So it's a glorious anthem as long as you have a higher life total, and attacking with creatures gains you life, so you could thereby have a lower life total, attack, and activate your anthem, and this is a three-mana enchantment. Yeah. Seems like a, a lot of doing nothing, unfortunately. Yeah, I, like... Yeah. No. I mean, maybe if this were... I feel like in order for this card to be playable, it'd have to be a much bigger bonus than plus one, plus one. Yeah, or cheaper. Basically, it would have to be a completely different card. Right. <laughs> so, so if this card were a 2-1 human for 2 mana, 1 and a white, that your creatures enter your... your opponent's creatures enter the battlefield tap, then it would be a definite inclusion. For That's sure. That's true. <laughs> cool. Yeah, the Sovereign is my... is my number 2 lock card for this set. And there's... there's one more after this. Alright. Yeah, it's pretty high on my list. I, you know, I... I don't think I've, I've organized them. There are certainly other cards that I like, but uh, I'm, I'm curious to see. I have a, I have a couple opinions here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write down... Hold on, give me a second. I'm going to write down what I think might be your number one. Dark, uh, dark Prophecy. Ah! Speaking of Dark Prophecy, why don't we, uh, why don't we jump ahead to the black cards? Yeah, the blue cards are all bad. Well, the, yeah, the blue cards, eh, not that, you know, Tidebinder Mage is... Certainly respectable, I think, in constructed formats, but this is the exact kind of hate card I actually despise in cubes, is that by itself, if, if the hate portion isn't active, it's uh, very mediocre. I mean, who, you know, people aren't playing grizzly bears in most cubes, uh, especially when they're color-color grizzly bears. Um, but when, But the ability could be just really, really good. Um... Which is, you know, its ability is, you know, that it taps a red or green. Somnifor, is that what it was called? The one, one or from Saga, yeah. Yeah, that did a very similar thing that uh, taps a red or green creature and it stays tapped as long as it's in play. This is the exact kind of card that it's just like random, you know, random daggers when it doesn't need to be and it, it can it can stay away for all I, for all I care. But black... Uh, since uh, Usman's gotten most of the stinkers, uh, <laughs> let's let's I'll start about Dark Prophecy because uh, this is a card that people are actually talking about because of the fabled black 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 mana cost for an enchantment. Uh, as you may or may not know, there's a couple cards of that cost that have had some impact over time. Um, this one is whenever a creature you control dies, you draw a card and lose a life. Okay, so. Unlike uh, the uh, Necropotence, let's say, you really have no control over... You have, you have very little control, I guess I should say, over when you're drawing cards in game life, or losing life. Um, and that alone makes this really difficult for me to swallow as a card that I want to be playing, let alone the difficult mana cost. Like, if I'm doing this, I want a 3-2 that train life super 2 when it comes into play. And then when it dies, it comes back again. That's a 4-3. That's pretty good. <laughs> I know. What if, what if they ever made a card like that? That'd be sweet. I don't know. That might be too good. <laughs> I, I, uh, what do you guys think? I just feel like this card's just too many hoops to jump through to try to get value out of it. Yeah. 
Uh, I think the most upsetting thing about this card is that they use such a sweet name on a card that I'm never going to cast. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So, so now what if this they be a, this be a metal a metal album name? Oh, I, yeah. I think I, I assume so. I assume so. Let, let me check metal archives. It okay. has to be. Did, did you guys happen to see uh, the uh, uh, Photoshop from uh, one of my previous articles about Advent of the Worm? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. There's a uh, there's a black slash death metal band from Mexico called Dark Prophecy. There you go. There's the connection. There's probably like several. Uh, one from LA. Looks like there's about four bands called Dark Prophecy. There we go. About four more of them after this set comes out. <laughs> so here's the thing: is I think this card might have been really sweet and might have been like uh, an archetype boosting card if it actually had a way to sacrifice your creatures on it as an ability. Even if it was expensive. I mean, not, not expensive, but even if it costs, like, three mana, at least just enable it somewhat. I mean, you're already paying black, black, black. That's such a debilitating mana cost for any deck to play. I mean, you have to... You, you literally just have to be playing swamps. And if that's the case, then what are your sack outlets? I mean, there's just there's there's nowhere there's nowhere for you to go once it gets in play. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, this isn't like it's yeah just a stone nothing like yeah. This is now, no blood artist. Right. Yeah, blood artist makes this card look silly. Um, just because blood artist sometimes uh, I mean I I haven't played a cube or against a cube yet, but playing against it constructed sometimes is just so frustrating because it feels like no matter what you do you're just getting for, you know, this is going to be an 8 to 10 life swing. And it's like, well, I have to really use removal spell on this thing? Yeah. So yeah, because if you don't, it's going to kill you, like, whether you want to do or not. Just so many random interactions. Uh, but, yeah, uh, just, I just feel like it's the card that you'll just cast and just you'll get nothing for it anytime soon. You know? However, you know, I'm sure there are people who will tell us, well, yeah, including me. It comes in at the perfect time, because right before your opponent rats, and then you get to draw cards afterwards. Oh, yeah, sure. And I will say to you people, please test the card for us. <laughs> there we right. go. Let us know. And better yet, if you haven't, try it. There's this sweet enchant, this sweet uh, equipment. It's called Skull Clamp. Check that one out. Let me know how that one works first. <laughs> so. so, yeah, that was my turn. No, thank you. Next. Uh, I'll t- I'll take I'll take uh, let's see I think we're gonna skip this gnawing zombie. Uh, this is basically just a worse blood artist. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, I don't really know how else to explain it other than uh, it's blood artist plus one power and you actually have to pay to sacrifice a creature. Um, yeah. I think a really interesting card. I don't think it's very good, but I think it's an interesting card. Is Grim Return which is two and a black, an instant that says, choose target creature card in the graveyard that was put there from the battlefield this turn. Put that card onto the battlefield under your control. And notice, you can do this to your opponent's creatures. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's a little too tricky to work around. Um, it's, in, in a cube environment, um, you're really just going to have to have to be drafting a ton of 
creature removal to make this good. The fact that it's an instant does help. Um, yes, probably sure. just a little too narrow for me. What do you guys think? Well, you know, not only is it a, a little too narrow, but the you know, once again, uh, if you want this to work, that means you have to either if you want to grab your opponent's creature, right? That's the big thing that you want to do. That's the that's the 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 big draw of this card is to take your opponent's awesome creature and then, you know, you get it for yourself. Well, you certainly can, like, play tricks with it, like, oh, I guess I'll uh, spend six mana, evoke my Mold Drifter, and then get my Mold Drifter and feel for. Well, there are certainly, like, corner cases where you can do something sweet like that. Um, the fact that you would have to have both a removal spell and this card and the mana to cast both of them in order to make your grand plan work you know, like, kill your guy and bring it back and then block with it. You know, that's, you know, block with this big guy that uh, eats one of yours and still lives. I, I still feel like it's a little too elaborate to try to get the best use out of, if that makes sense. Um, I could see it being good against, like, you know, sneak attack decks, but, you know, if people are sneaking in Eldrazi, good luck having mana afterwards to, uh, to get it when you have to and have to sacrifice it. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, you know, I feel like it's too, too, too many hoops to jump through. Not as many hoops, perhaps, as uh, Dark Prophecy, but certainly uh, a little uh, a little more hoopy than I like. How's that? Absolutely. Well, too, many, too many hoops, not, not enough hula. I don't know who hula would be. Not enough hips, because hips don't lie. That's true. So, all right. Well, I'm going to talk about a card next that I kind of... I'm on the fence about. I kind of dig it, to be honest, um, because of where it fits in, and that's Lightbane Zombie. Uh, Lightbane Zombie is another one of these hate creatures. Um, it is for it is one black-black for a 3-1 Intimidate. Uh, and when it enters the battlefield, a target opponent reveals his or her hand, and you choose a green or white creature card from it and exile it. So... If we just take a look, let, let, let's just look at the creature. 3-1 uh, Intimidate for 3 mana. Not all that embarrassing, considering that black 3 drops drop off significantly after Vampire Nighthawk, I think. You, mean, bone, you get Bone Shredder and... Yeah. You know, yeah, Gatekeeper. Shred, yeah, I mean, you get, a biz, you get Gatekeeper, which is, which is kind of neat. Uh, you have... You have... Yeah, Bunch Marauder... Um, oh yeah, hippie. But I still don't feel like when, when someone says to me black three drops, I'm not like, oh yeah, they're awesome. That's not you know a phrase that comes to my mind. You know, it's not, it's like, not like oh, four yeah. white four drops or whatever. Right, it's not like white fours or like you know green fives. Right, so like, oh yeah, oh there's so many good cards at, at this uh, you know at this cost. And the fact that it has evasion, I think, is certainly certainly relevant, um, which is something that a lot of the other parts in, in this don't suffer from. But the fact that you also get to peek at their hand and possibly uh, gank a card from their hand is is real nice. Uh, just the fact that you get to look at their hand alone, you know, Magic, much like most card games, is a game of uh, imperfect information. And anytime you can have more perfect information only makes it easier for you to win games. So, I, I'm definitely curious about this. I certainly think it's better 
than like the uh, uh, and Ragers and possibly Liliana Spectres of the world. Um, and I certainly don't like it as much as Nighthawk or Jaroff's Messenger. Um, Hypnotic Spectre is, is, has a, you know, uh, a significant place in historical context. Um, but I feel like this guy has a, has a shot. I'm curious to see how much he can freely attack. Um, because if we're looking at trying to make black aggressive decks better, I think this card can go a long way. Um, especially the fact that it exiles the green card. That means, you know, nice, uh, nice Baylock that if you discard it, you get it for free instead. No, exile it. It's out. Which is, you know, that's the, the bane of, um, that's the bane of, of black aggressive decks are these green four drops that gain four every time they come into play. They discard them and things like that. It makes it real tough. I think that's relevant, a relevant ability that shore up a, uh, a weakness of these kind of decks. That said, if you're a Pox, if you're a Pox guy or girl, uh, this one's probably not great. But if you're still on the aggro plan, and it's a zombie, once again, uh, you know, continuing wax tribal theme with things like Grave Crawler and Grave uh, uh, Forms and things like that. I, I think it's got some, some decent interactions there. So I, I, I want to give it a shot. I, I'll be honest. I'm, I'm intrigued enough to want to give it a shot. All right, I've talked enough. You're done. What else talk about this guy? I, I don't know. I've, I've been testing, and it wasn't bad. Like, I had somebody who had a black-white aggro deck, and I asked him how it was. He said he usually had other things to do, but I think, yeah, I, I think I like it as, you know, as even as just, like, a three-mana, three-one Intimidate peak. And then, like, if you get something, then sure, that's extra value. Like, I think it's pretty good. I, uh, I, think, I think, just, Anthony, from your description, I think you... I was kind of on the fence, but I think you've sold me on trying it. Um, it definitely has a respectable body for its mana cost. It does have a form of evasion, um... And, you know, just casting, like, for example, like, casting into rest and missing, but knowing your opponent's not going to do anything about what you're doing is just as good as actually hitting a spell. So this comes along with a creature attached to it. So if, if you cast this guy and you actually hit something, you're going to get huge value out of him. Right. Even how good is that feeling? up. Yeah, so, uh, I don't know. I, I think I think I like him. I mean, 3-1 is nothing to sneeze at, even though it costs 3. Um... It's not triple black, so you can reasonably cast it in a two-color deck. I, I think I like it. I'm definitely going to give it a shot. Yeah, I mean, if anyone who's ever played uh, extensively with... Uh, uh, what's the Phyrexian? Uh, I, I'm so bad at card names. I'm trying to talk about it. The Phyrexian Mana Thief that draws your card. Uh, oh, Probe. Probe. Yeah. If you've Excellent. ever played Gitaxian Probe, I, I've recently started playing uh, Storm more in Legacy. And literally, Gitaxian Probe's probably the best card in the deck. I mean, sure. just knowing what your opponent has in hand, like, I mean, I enjoyed it a lot in Standard, too, when it was legal, means so much. You don't realize how much, you know, the, the information game uh, matters. But knowing what they're doing and, you know, just matters so much of, you know, formulating your game plan uh, and, and knowing how the game's going to unfold and, and looking multiple turns into the future um, and figuring out how this is all going to work. And, you know, add on all that on top of that, the, the tribal, albeit slight at this point, interactions, and, and I think you have the makings of a, of a real solid 
uh, creature that could be actually quite good. Will it make the smallest cubes? No, because I think, you know, we still have too many. Uh, I think there's still a few good uh, black three drops ahead of it. But I certainly think for the mid-range size, now once you get to the 450 and higher range, that this is a guy uh, where you want to be. And, yeah, if you get to spike a card out of their hand for it, too, I, I think it's just you're so far ahead. Yeah, to- totally agree. Yep. If, you hit, if you hit with this guy, as far as their hand, it's, uh, man. Or even if you, like, you just see if they have a wrath. Right. Oh, I guess I'll... All right, not going to overextend now. I'm like an idiot. Right. It's like, okay, well, now I know what I need to do, like, this next turn, or they don't, so I can... You know, a, you know, next turn I can cast these two cards and thereby only give them a one or two turn window to draw their master removal spell. Like, is that a chance I want to take? Yes or no? You know, you get to make uh, plays like that based off of what you see. So, and like I said, you God forbid you spike a uh, what's the the Bailoff that was uh, obstinate Bailoff? Uh, yeah, ob- God forbid you spike an obstinate Bailoff. Because <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times those green decks, you know, when you're in that situation. You oftentimes rely on those creatures to keep yourself in the game. And you're not only getting the life pack, but you have a huge blocker as well. Um, and losing that while still getting a presence like this that you may or may not be able to block uh, can be a huge dagger. So. Sweet, sweet. And right. you, still get, you still get your blink interactions if you want them. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you don't. it's not Weaver type or Liliana Spectre interactions, rather, where you get to keep making them discard, but. You know, if they're if you're playing against a green or white deck, you might be able to keep spiking creatures out of their hands. So, all right, I'm done. All right, <laughs> next one. This this is uh, very. I, I'm very interested to see how this card is going to do. Liliana's Reaver. This is a four three creature that costs two black black. It has Death Touch, and when it it connects with your opponent. When it deals damage to a player, that player discards a card, and you put a 2-2 black zombie creature token onto the battlefield tapped. If if saboteurs, in general, and those are creatures that have an effect when they deal combat damage to an opponent, if any creatures that cost four or more are ever going to be good, this is the one. The effect is just so powerful, and it's so big for its mana cost. Being able to, I mean, this is this is basically like half of half of sort of feast and famine and half of sort of body and mind on this creature alone. Yeah, it's it, it's certainly very high powered, and it's got the it's got the nice you know equal power to mana ratio, right? So you still have that going for it. Uh, that touch means that you're still going to punish people, you know, uh, by blocking it, and they can't block it with bigger uh, with bigger things. Um, but yeah, like being able to get a, both a zombie and a card out of their hand is is real big game. I, I think the only thing that could remotely hold this card back is the three toughness, uh, and that's and that's just a weakness against the redheads. I mean, if it were a three four, I think it might actually be better than it being a four three. It, it would definitely be better. It definitely. Yeah. Be better. Then it's just well, then you know, like just kind of like with Vampire Nighthawk. Then when you have a a smaller power. The toughness ratio, Death Touch actually gets better rather than worse. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm certainly going to try this guy out. 
I don't know if he's going to ultimately make the cut, uh, just because in in general, like I wrote in my article this week or this past week, uh, it's it's really a tough sell for saboteur creatures to cost four or more and not be able to hit your opponent that turn just because the board gets so developed and they're usually stonewalled. But this guy's just so big, his effect is so powerful that. He's he's gonna he's he's gonna be worth a shot in almost every cube that can play him except for the smallest ones. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I, I think the, the the possibility, the value if he hits, if he connects, is so big. I think you have to give it a shot and see if you can make it work. And he's got that zombie interaction too. You know, also yeah. a zombie. So zombie makes zombies. Right. Yeah, they come into play tap, but whatever. They they still carry pants. And it makes zombies, and it's still you still get to replay your grave crawler. You still get to draw extra cards from your graveborn use. Like you know, I, I imagine we'll be seeing more zombie specific type cards in the future that will help. Um, but yeah, this I, this guy's big game. I just you know, and he's certainly more exciting than a rando five fives before with drawbacks. Absolutely. Um, or six six reports or whatever you know whatever there are whatever they are now we have a, a variety of them there's at least three five fives and one six six that I can think of in four mana that don't have evasion that are just big dumb idiots um, it's certainly more exciting than all of those cards um, I, I'm certainly not going to replace a visual persecutor with them because that card no. is just that card is just massive yeah um, but and if I had any of those other cards, uh, I'm certainly giving this this guy a shot at the big leagues in, in exchange for one of them, uh, just think, because of the possible upside, and to see if it if, if, it, if it can be achieved. Absolutely, and I think the uh, the fact that the, the two two tokens coming to play tap is completely irrelevant because if your opponent had creatures that you're going to need to block, they probably blocked this guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, and I think certainly you're going to want to kill this guy in combat as soon as possible. Yeah. I think you're more than willing to two-for-one yourself to not just get, like, two-for-one and more later. You're getting yeah. two-for-one one way or another. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> right. You, you either take it willingly or not. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, you know, you, you either have control over the situation or don't, and, and it's always better to have control over the, any situation than not, especially considering that, you know, you can two for one yourself now, or you can get uh, maybe two for one multiple times later on. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I dig it. I, I think it's definitely uh, definitely a, a way to try it. And you know, I, I'm for a person who respects magic history, I, I couldn't possibly stomach any more Ophidian type cards. I've tried so many of them, uh, most to no avail whatsoever of the saboteur cards. There are so few that actually do enough. Um, you know, very, very, very. Yeah. And, and you covered that, I thought, very well in your, your article this week. Um, that, but, but this guy, man, I'm giving him a shot. I thought it for the best. Mm-hmm. All right. Should I do the next one? Yeah, let's, let's, let's hear it. Since you talked about this card a month ago, I believe. Big baddie. <laughs> All right, this card is called. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. All the as all the people are ripping their earbuds out of their head and backing away from. 
Oh, was it loud? I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, three and three and two black for a five six. It, itself is a demon, which is actually relevant. And it when, flies, right? Yeah. Oh, and it flies. My bad. <laughs> Forgot that too. When Shadowborn Demon enters the battlefield, destroy target non-demon creature. At the beginning of your upkeep, if there are fewer than six creature cards in your graveyard, sacrifice a creature. Yeah, I, I like this guy. He's a pretty sweet one. He is. Very, very powerful effect, very sizable body. Yeah. This guy is no joke. I mean, once again, if, if we think of the worst-case scenario, right, like as worse as it can possibly be, um, we get a black spell that doesn't have the you-can't-get-a-black-creature clause on it, something like uh, Shriek Moth, for example. Um, we all love Shriek Moth, right? Except for now, instead, you know, we get, not only do we get to kill something that doesn't have to kill itself, which is why it being a demon and killing a non-demon matters, um... But if you get to keep this guy in play for any length of time, first of all, he is impossible to attack through. So not only are you killing their biggest creature, but he is he's a big boy for five mana. And he flies. The fact that he blocks dragons all day is crazy to me. Like, yeah. I mean, he, you know, five five flyers, you know, whatever. Who cares? You know, yeah, and I'm five, five idiot. If, I, if I'm not killing that one, you know, uh, if you happen to have a more five five flyers, or yeah, I can't kill your Sphinx of uh, Dwar Isle. Well, yeah, oh no, no, I don't think so. So no. Like I've seen people, I've, I've had it in my cube for a while, and like I've had people like play it in like bad decks where they shouldn't play. It. Like they'll play it in like a Jun deck or like Grixis Control, and like this card's bad. I'm just like, well, you play in the wrong deck. <laughs> you know, if you're gonna play in a deck. Where it's just like, play it, kill something, and then it dies, and well, you messed up. <laughs> but even even then, it's it's certainly if that's the worst case scenario that you you get to kill virtually anything, um, they can't attack through it, and if for some reason you have to sacrifice it, like and there are certainly cards with much worse worst case scenarios that we gladly play in the game. Even though, like, I kind of think of it as a big bone shredder. I think I talked about it before. It's like. The big bone shredder, where like you play it and like they don't want to attack. Like before, they just don't want to attack because like it makes you not pay echo. This time, they don't attack because their guy just dies. Right. And think about all the times where this guy is just like the top of your impressive curve or whatever. Yeah, I think I that's mean, definitely his best slot. Yeah. For, for sure. I mean, this guy is is ridiculous in that case. And the one thing I think I like the most about it is that it's actually good at any point in time in the game in those kind of decks, too. Because even if you draw it late, the body and the evasion are big enough to be relevant, and it's very possible that you may have six cards in your graveyard, and therefore, no drawback. Mm-hmm. So, you know, yeah, maybe there are situations where your board is empty, you look at your graveyard, and you have five dudes, and you draw it, and you're just like, oh, I hate myself right now. But... Uh, I, I can't see that happening that often. And this guy, I, you know, as much as I like some some creatures like Obnixilis and things like that, this guy is, a, for me, clearly better than a lot of those mid-range five drops that inhabit a lot of cubes in this color slot. Like Puppeteer Click or whatever. I mean, I like Pup Click for, for a fair amount of reasons, but this guy is so good, and he's really, really good in the aggressive and mid-range decks, too. 
Yeah. So, or like the uh, ones that have token producers and things like like. I'm trying to think. Well, like, yeah. like no, even no, like, like Mortar Pod is fine with it. I mean, like sure. Okay, I'll I'll get a bitter blossom token and get rid of it. Like who cares? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a hell of. You know, bitter blossom. Um, yes. All right, I'll pay one life to keep my five six demon around every turn. Yeah. yeah. Or you know, I'll sacrifice this year's grave crawler and pay one, basically pay an up, pay an upkeep of one black or whatever. Just like you're stacking like a carnivage that's doing nothing because they have like three threes and four fours holding the ground. It's like okay, well this guy's not doing anything anyway. I'll just stack it and I'll trade this guy to deal more damage in the air. And I think that's a really good way to look at it. It's just in that way. Like yeah, they're like blood gas or you know things like that too that you may be able to get back for mm-hmm. for virtually no cost. I mean I would that's the thing about uh, uh, douchebag marauder is that sometimes <laughs> you just like trade your one one for a 3-1 and one of their creatures. Yeah. Um, yeah, I like this card a lot. Unfortunately, it's mythic, and unfortunately, it doesn't kill Baneslayer Angel. Oh, no. protection from demons. Oh, no. <laughs> the eternal troll Baneslayer Angel. Uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, can, can I just complain about Halo Hunter again? And Baneslayer sure. Angel? We, Halo had, we had so before. <laughs> one, of the, Let's go again. one of the coolest artworks one of the greatest, like, flavor-type things that they've made in a long time, right? Like, Halo Hunter, there's this demon, right? And he goes out and he kills angels. And it's his ability. He kills angels, and he's got, like, he's this huge body, and he's really hard to block, you know, and he's, he does all this stuff. Except for the only angel you want to kill with him, you can't! Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is oh. carrying around halos. Literally has them in his grip. Yes! <laughs> he's like, hey, look at all these angels I killed. You're next. Unless you're nope. You're not next. Cause you're the only one that matters, and I can't do anything with you. I can't find you. Are you, you know there? what, Angel, uh... Do you know Angel he also can't kill? Imperial Archangel. Well, yeah, that, that yeah. guy's got uh, a, little bit of, a little bit of shroud. I was going to say Chameleon Colossus. Ooh! <laughs> you're right, he does not kill Chameleon Colossus. <laughs> but seriously, at least Chameleon Colossus doesn't have a halo. It's, it's, it's an angel. It's got a halo on it. Yeah, uh. All right, I'm done. I don't. I, I don't want to dredge up you know these bad memories any further. I'm gonna move on. <laughs> but yeah, Shadowborn Demon or whatever his name is. I like it. I like it. I think this guy is this guy is so good that I am when uh, when I do my M14 cube update, which should be in a couple of weeks. I'm actually going to slightly change around five to eight cards in my black section just to try to make them a little bit better. Nice. Uh, like what? Uh, I'm going to put in, like, a reassembling skeleton um, and just other, like, graveyard-oriented cards, recursion sure. type. Uh, Andy Cooperfaust was messing around with doing some of that type stuff, like uh, sacrifice and recursion type stuff in black, and I think he goes perfectly into that type of... Uh, that type of black section, if you can, if you can work with that, because this guy is just completely insane. If you if you can skip his upkeep trigger, for sure. obvious. Yeah, rear Summon skeleton is a card that I've I've actually gotten some more interest in in the past months. Uh, with some of the, the the fact that he does have quite a quite a number of interactions, uh, yeah, you can certainly push that as well too. Uh, so I'm going to be keeping my eyes out for uh, for a shiny one of those at some point, just to see if I can. 
put them on the bench and, and find a time to put them in. But yeah, I, I think that idea for sure. Cool. All right, any other sort of block cards you want to mention other than the uh, obvious uh, Jack Black reference? <laughs> yeah. Xander Necromancer, like, eh, seems like, eh. All right, so Xander Zanfer- ne- Necromancer is basically uh, uh, a long reanimator. reanimator, right? Yeah, except it's human instead of cleric. Okay, yeah. so, but that gives us an interaction, though, right? That gives us, you know, we talked about our white decks and our humans, Um you know, this gives us an interaction in like a white black deck that we get to uh, basically. So he's uh, just so people listening know what it is. He's a two and a black for a two two. Whenever Xanthrid Necromancer or another human creature you control dies, put a two two black zombie creature onto the battlefield pack. Uh, so you know, he gets those. He gets uh, you know the, the typical two two black zombie. Uh, Whenever a human dies, so I mean, maybe is there interactions? Maybe if you're a tribal cube, I think I think that's a real easy shoe in because he both feeds the human side and the necromancer side. Like uh, Eric Flute's uh, zombie cube, for example. I feel like this guy is real nice there because it actually you know feeds both sides to some extent. I, I certainly don't think he's good enough at this point, but I think it's an interesting card to earmark. If you decide that you'd like to push something like that, I think this is a card you can come back to and uh, and 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 work and work out you know something about it. So I feel like there's some hidden interactions too. I'm not missing. You know, speaking of the constantly stacking creatures and the reassembling skeleton type thing, like it, it, I guess if you play a conspiracy or something like that in your tribal cube, and all my guys are humans, and I have this like these. Endless like loops that you can create with uh, things like uh, Domlo bombardment or you know, those sorts of things. I don't know. I feel like this is just a card that might be relevant for some interactions at some point, but just not. It's just not powerful enough by itself without specifically having sections that are tailored to take advantage of it. Okay. Sweet. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> again another another one of those cards that will only get better with time. Yep. Yeah. I like said that's I like the earmark stuff like that kind of as oh this might be good later like let's let's keep an eye on this let's keep it in the back of our minds to maybe come back to it at some point. So all right, I think it's enough with the black cards right now. Let's uh, red or green. What do you guys think? Um. Let's see. Let me. I guess let's do. Uh, we'll go ahead and do. We'll and do red because I think we got some some sweet cards to talk about in green. So we'll leave those for last. All right. Cool. So uh, I'm I'm going to skip the first card listed here unless you guys want to talk about it. No. Uh, Bad lunar ill cards. Other, other than to say, why why you got to make this cost three wizards? Yeah. Two. It's just two. It's two too good. You printed Looter Core. You got to discard this one first. Well, this is Academy Raider, by the way. That even though we said we weren't going to talk about who's a, a three mana one one. I'm that, done. Uh, I don't ever want to talk about this again. I'm so I'm so frustrated by the fact this costs three. When you hit somebody, you you can discard a card, and then only if you discard a card can you draw a card. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about the, the next card because <clears throat> I think it's 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 important to to bring up and mention. Uh, and that's Awaken the Ancient. So Awaken the Ancient is a one red, red, red enchant mountain. 
Uh, Enchanted Mountain is a 7-7 red giant creature with haste. It's still alive. So, so here's the thing. 7-7s seven or 4 are pretty good, right? Except for this guy does not cost 4. This guy actually costs 5. And by, and by it costing 5, I mean it costs 4 red. It's really 1 red, 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 red. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because not only do you need the 3 mana to cast it, but you also need a mountain to put it on to attack with it. And let's be honest, most red decks shouldn't be skipping their turn 4 just to like make a 7-7 seven, seven, that might attack next turn. You don't do it, you don't do it. And we'll get blocked because it does not have trample. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it they doesn't come off. back like uh, the other, the one mana one that makes three power dudes out of your mountains. The Genju of the Spires. At least that one comes back. So, while this, I think this card can seem like it might be kind of tempting, because, you know, I've got to be honest, when I first saw it, it said it has haste, I'm like, oh, well, that's good. Until I realized, hmm, not really a four drop. It's a no. five drop. And so. I think this is just like, prevent, like, feel-bad moments, and, like, somebody would put it on, like, a non-haste mountain. With, like, right, oh. Right, right, I just played the right. That avoids the, oh, I accidentally played it on the mountain, I just put it in the play. Yeah. I think that's, like, as much as much trouble as people give the Moto beta, rightfully so, like, one of the things I think it does right is, like, they put a little swirly logo on, like, things that have summoning sickness, so you can very easily tell, but, you know, this, that obviously doesn't apply for non-beta and people who play IRL and I think that again it's kind of a, a good clean functionality kind of like with Banisher Priest that I think is a nice thing to do but, granted the card is still terrible right but anything you can do to make the game easier to understand and more intuitive I think is a step in the right direction mm-hmm agreed I do, I do think the only people that are going to be interested in this type of card are the people that would have put it on their Summoning Sick Mountain in the first place. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> are they the same people who really like Furnace uh, of Wrath, too? I feel like they're the same people. They probably are the same people. They're probably uh, the same people that are putting all of those in their commander deck. Oh, all right. I see that. Fair enough. All right, let's talk about better red cards. Who wants it? Serve it up. This is this is a good one. This is the uh, this one, maybe the card that we're going to talk about the most. All right. So, who, Justin, why don't you take it? All right, I'll take it. The uh, the potentially most exciting card, as far as a interactive wise, is, in my opinion, is the new Red Planeswalker Chandra Pyromaster. And uh, I assume most everyone has seen this Chandra or know what it does. Um, I'll briefly go over the abilities just to give everybody a reminder. It's uh, It costs two red-red, starts with four loyalty. It's plus one, uh, deals one damage to an opponent and to a creature, and that creature can't block this turn. Uh, it's minus seven ultimate is exile a top ten card to your library. You can play an instant or sorcery this way for free and copy it three times. And then the Moneymaker ability is its middle ability of zero. Exile a top card of your library. You may play it this turn. All right, a couple, couple of clarifying things. So, you know, people, before we get into the meat of this, uh, that I've seen as misinterpretation so far, um, you don't get the spell four times for the ultimate. You get it three. 
You basically you choose the card and then get three copies of it. So you're actually getting three. It, it doesn't say choose it, cast it, and copy it three times. It just says choose it and you get it three times for free. Um, I've seen people think it's four. Um, the tapping ability deals one to the player and then at one on up to one target creature. So that means that for some reason uh, their creatures are not targetable if it's not going to shut off the ability because it actually, you know, you can choose to hit zero creatures with it. You don't have to hit a player and a creature unlike something like Withdraw where you have to have two targets. Um, this you actually don't have to have two targets, I don't think, because it says up to one target creature. Okay. So you can still just ding them for one if you can't target it. It won't effectively shut off the ability. And then, uh, hopefully if people read carefully, it does not mind's desire. <laughs> the middle ability does not mind's desire, contrary to what some people think. <laughs> right. If that uh, was the case, we'd be talking about the red Jace the Mind Sculptor. Right. And you can only play it this turn. That being said, I, I feel like most of the value of this card is wrapped up in the second ability. Absolutely. Um, and, and how good that's going to be. Um, obviously, the first ability, I, I, superior to Chantra the Firebrands first, um, because you get to possibly do twice as much. Um, you get to ding a creature and a player instead of just one or the other. Um, the ultimate, while I think it it certainly could be game ending. I mean, you're you're looking at probably what nine damage. Nine. Yeah, I think it's mm-hmm. pretty much exclusively nine. I I would I wouldn't go as far as saying ninety percent of the time it's going to be nine damage. Which, which while it can be good, and at this point where it's going to, at the time when you're going to go off and activate its ultimate, nine damage is probably good enough for the game. It's not necessarily a game-ending ability in and of itself, like a lot of the other Planeswalker ultimates are, where it's just you just can't win if they activate it. Uh, this one certainly, you know, it is while it can be, isn't an auto game-ender like most of them are. So it's so it's this middle ability that which is what we're talking about, um, and you know, exiling the top part of your library, and you can play this turn. Two very short sentences, very simple. Um, so what do you guys think about this? I like it. Would you care to elaborate? <laughs> uh, I think it's good. <laughs> like, it seemed like there was a lot of disappointment. Like, I guess people thought it was going to cost three, and I kind of felt in the same boat where I was like, come on, cost three, cost three, cost three, uh-oh, cost four, uh-oh. And I was like, oh. But I, I think it's, it still gets still very good, like, I like the ability to just, like, stop the opponent from blocking things, you know, or your early drops. And even just, like, if enough you're not and you're just drawing stuff, I think it's still really good. And even if not, like, you're in the mid- late later parts of the game, and assuming you're not, again, like, Grixis Control, like, if you're playing this in Grixis Control, you're probably, probably not doing it right. Or probably something went very wrong. Or, like, is it or something... But I, yeah, I, I like this card. Just gives a lot of value. Does what the aggressive red decks want to do. It doesn't do a lot when you're behind, which is a little awkward. But I think it's still good. I, I agree. I think that's um, that's probably the the main strike against it is when you're when you're losing. This card is just terrible. 
mean, they're gonna if if you can't if you can't kill their uh, I don't know their one four creature or their four or excuse me their four one creature with its plus one, then uh, you're it's it's either gonna die instantly or get to the point where they can just ignore it. Uh, yeah. That being said, if you're on an even board or if you're ahead, I feel like the zero ability could just start becoming a card advantage machine, which is exactly what a red deck that they don't really have access to outside of this card. There's not a whole lot of red card drawing. No, I don't even think... I I mean, I I try to think about it. I don't think there's any just pure red cards that gain you card advantage. Um, Especially in a cube, when we're all always looking for efficiency in red cards as far as creatures with haste or excellent coming to play abilities or excellent direct damage. That's really what red's become, and that's okay, uh, because it is the best at that. A lot of people like playing mono red. I'm one of those people. Uh, but it doesn't really have any card advantage. Um, if you can cast this on turn four and then untap with it on turn five with this at a decent loyalty, it's going to be really tough to put away for your opponent. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think the only one I can really think of is maybe Wheel of Fortune, maybe. Yeah, that's probably that's probably it though. Yeah, the rest is just like there's. I think there's a good amount of two for ones, but there is very little in terms of like direct card draw. Where it's just like I have you at six, so let's draw some stuff, and I'm gonna go and kill you now. I think this is gonna be very good at that role. I think this is a uh, this is a card that uh, I'll certainly I'm certainly gonna put in my cube. I'm sure it will make it past my testing phase. Um, this is probably going to be an excellent role player. Probably not like an all star. I doubt this is going to be a card you're going to windmill slam first pick. Um, but this is this is kind of exactly what what Red wants uh, as far as being able to gain card advantage. And the time when your opponent does have one toughness creatures, uh, and you can and you can afford to plus one while you're still playing other spells in your hand. Um, it's just a it's just a very solid card. It's very very solid. Probably not the best card. Probably maybe the bottom of the top five for this set for cube, maybe five or six. Um, I still feel like that's pretty good. Yeah. yeah I, I definitely like the uh, that middle ability. Um, I, I don't think it's necessarily something you can use on your first turn. You know, if you're playing this on turn four, you just have to auto plus one at that point, unless for some reason you're you accelerated and missed your land drop, but you certainly don't want to like waste the opportunity to to draw cards. Um, but that being said, you know, for me it's a matter too of it's hard for me not to compare this, let's say, to Firebrand. Sure. Um, and while I feel like the second ability on Firebrand is a bit more consistent, or and the the ultimate is probably a bit more uh, game winning. Um, even though it doesn't do nine to their face, it's six to them and all their horses that they rode in on is, is pretty good. Um, the the appeal of repeatable red card drawing, especially the turn at when you know when you get to actually untap with her, is is a very powerful allure, I think. Um, well we we probably all had our experiences of copying Plow Under and copying other insane spells with firebrands. Um, sometimes you know, yeah. you just sometimes you just you know even even copying removal spells is, is just fine, but you know it's also a negative. 
this is potentially a repeatable card draw for as long as they let it live. I mean, this thing might be around for a significant amount of time. And while the card draw doesn't build up to the ultimate, who cares, right? You're drawing extra cards in a color that doesn't traditionally get an opportunity to do that. So. Yeah, and I've, I've heard comparisons like it's not Jace's brainstorm, but come on, it's not. It's gonna be. It's gonna be Jace. No. Nothing ever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think this is in like a black red deck, um, where where you're actually able to utilize your natural removal spells to take care of the creatures and just jam this on turn four is uh, just pretty scary. Yeah, and I feel like it kind of fits in that uh, anytime you can get extra gas out of those aggressive colors, like something like Blood, like a Blood Scrivener, like anytime you can jam some extra value and get some extra cards, you're so happy with that and those kind of decks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think we're all in agreement. It's sweet, not insane, but uh, definitely worth your time to check out. Is it better than Chandra Nalar? I don't... I think it is, but I really like... I like Chandra Nalara not a lot. Not that I don't think it's... It's not, like, great. Um, but it's very predictable in what it's going to do. It does cost five mana. I think it's probably better than Chandra Nalara, but slight, just slight. That's what I'm thinking, too. Yeah. Yeah, the only... You know, I, I certainly think it's probably better than five-drop Chandra. Yeah. However, uh, five-drop Chandra... Is one of the few ways the red deck has to answer something like Baneslayer Angel. Yeah. And as, and as awkward as that sounds, like, oh, well, that shouldn't happen very often. Well, you know, when it happens more often than you might think, and when Baneslayer Angel can mean, you know, Sun Titan or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever the, uh, you know, just something, just, you know, random big creature, but something oppressive to, uh, to attacking decks, the fact that that can get rid of it means a lot. I mean, I've lost constructed. I mean, I lost in the top four of a uh, modern event recently, uh, playing red green aggro, where on the last turn before, the last turn literally before my opponent dies, he empty-handed off the top of his deck. He peels his one X Baneslayer Angel. Oh, and I just can't win. Like. I, I literally at that point have to draw multiple removal spells to get rid of it. You know, he had a pod and an empty board. He has no cards in hand. I'm like, all right, he's dead. It's just like, oh, I drew this Baneslayer range one. I'm like, well, probably can't win now. Wow, so, that's awful. That turned around quickly. Yeah, right. I'm like, well, that didn't end out. That didn't end up how I thought it was going to. Jeez. And I'm like, how many of those do you have in there? Out of curiosity, he's like, oh, just just the one. Just the one. Yeah. <laughs> I do think I have killed the physically killed Baneslayer Angel with Chandra Nalar more than any other creature with that ability. But it's but and it's an important interaction, I think. So I think it's you know while I I think Nalar is kind of a boring creature at this point, a boring card at this point. It's very boring, but it's just efficient. It's it's just something you need to do, I think. So I don't know if I'd say Nalar's efficient, but she what she does, she does pretty well. Like, yeah, yeah, not a or she uh, she covers a, 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 a yeah she covers a weakness which I think is good. Yeah, maybe efficient isn't the right word. Uh, pre- I guess predictable. Yeah, what it's doing. 
There you go. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I like Pyromaster, and I'll, I'll certainly give it a shot. I seem to be saying that about a lot of these cards, of like, yeah, I want to give it a shot and try it out, and it should be pretty good. Um, but I, I, I'm like, you know, I, I'm, I'm eagerly looking forward to talking about more exciting automatic cards like we had in White. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of this kind of set. It's going to be, uh, yeah, try it, see what happens, and go from there. It's, there's, there's not a whole lot of slam dunks, but... You know, uh, looking back at those the the past core set uh, part of the spreadsheet, you know, I think if you get five cards out of this set that are going to stay in your cube for a uh, decent amount of time, then you're probably doing pretty good. Yeah. Wow. M11 had a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like, well, that, that's mainly because there's five Titans in there. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Should we talk about the next card? I guess there's some like filler cards like Dragon Egg and. Goblin Diplomats. Well, and uh, an aside on Goblin Diplomats, this is uh, automatically makes it any uh, flavor or art-based cubes. Why? Why is that? Well, the art. Have you is, seen this card? It's, it looks sweet. It, uh, the art is uh, two goblins standing on top of a castle. One is bending over, pointing to its butt. And the other one is making his face by pulling his cheeks apart and smiling. So uh, the art is fantastic. And to go along with the art, the flavor text is, when you need to convey that special kind of message. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very well done from that department. Um, there will be many Monty Python jokes made about this card. Uh, that, you know, people's fathers smell the velvet berries and... Be quiet, or I'll be forced to taunt you a second time. Uh, but yeah, it's a flavor win for sure. Speaking of flavor wins, there's also that whole interaction of the the witch, the newt, and the cauldron. Yeah, I think that's all pretty interesting as well. But that's gonna be a lot of fun for a regular, for real limited. Yeah, yeah, I agree. But this is not real limited. This is unreal limited. <laughs> <laughs> It's limited. It's unreal. Um, I want to talk about... Uh, I don't want to skip too far. I want to talk about Mindsparker. Me too. Good. Uh, because this is another card. Um, so Mindsparker is a one red red uh, for a 3-2 first red. Once again, we can stop right there and it'll be somewhat interesting. Um, but it keeps going. And this is another one of our hate cards. It says, whenever an opponent casts a white or blue instant or sorcery spell... Mindsparker deals two damage to that player. So, much like the Lightbane Zombie, we get uh, we get three power for three mana. Um, we get a pseudo-evasive um, ability. Um, while uh, Intimidate is more of an evasion, this is more of a doesn't-die-in-combat ability, which, you know, like I said, pseudo-evasion. Which is and we get... Yeah, absolutely. And and we get an ability that against traditional control decks or things like that, two damage at a time can add up really quickly. Yeah. Um, so th- th- I don't think this is a card that should be ignored, especially because a lot of our uh, red three drops seem to come in a few different flavors. Um, we have Hasty and Doesn't Stick Around. You know, we have, you know, the Ball Lightning, the Hell's Thunder... Um, those kind of cards. We have the utility cards. Um, so you're looking at uh, 
the different vandals, Elven vandals, Manic vandals, um, or uh, Elven Manic vandals, uh, Jaya Valor, Fire Imp, um, and, and then we also have others. Yeah, uh, the Phoenix, Phoenix, right? Yeah, yeah, the Phoenix is another one that goes into the hasty category. At least that one sticks around a little bit. Uh, and then we have stuff like Countryside Crusher, which are like you know three power three drops that don't necessarily play out as a three drop card all the time because you might just want to not want to lock yourself out of lands for the rest of the game if you don't have enough. Um, so I think this kind of fills a gap just as an attacking three-drop card that you always want to play on turn three that we don't really have a whole lot of that, that actually sticks around, you know, that's going to be a repeatable source of damage, unlike uh, a ball like for example. Um, so I think that makes this card more relevant than I think it might seem originally. And then once again, if it's dealing an extra two damage at any point in time, I mean, isn't that just gravy and good gravy on top of it? Absolutely. Um, so I, I so I kind of once again I kind of dig this card and I do want to try it out in uh, in place of maybe some of the more utility type creatures uh, even though I do like the the vandals quite a bit I think if people are still running like the, the Jaya dollars and things like that I think they need to I think this card needs to get in in its place um, because I, it, it's hard for me to imagine red sections that don't care about attacking. Hundred percent agree. I like this card. Um this is kind of this is going to be a sideways comparison, uh, but a lot of a lot of people like Boros Reckoner in Cube, um, and I know that is a white red card by definition and sure. like casting cost. But when I'm drafting, I would much rather have this than a Boros Reckoner. Yeah, yeah. I, and I do like Reckoner, but yeah, I this is going to be easier to cast in your red flank deck. Unless you're mono red, in which case you're the same. But, you know, it's got full on first strike instead of just once in a while. Um, and they're, they're slightly different cards, but, but yeah, I, I feel like this is, this card has a lot higher end potential than, than Reckoner does. Absolutely. This is, uh, uh this is the type of. Especially against the control decks. Yeah. This is, this is the type of card when you're, when you're drafting, this is a card that you're happy to see and put in your deck. It's, it's, it doesn't scream out that it's gonna be, you know, excellent when you when you put it in your cube, but I feel like in practice it shows it's worth a lot more. Um, kind of like you were saying, I mean, if you get like seven damage out of this, seven to nine damage, I think you're doing pretty good between uh, combat damage to your opponent and its ability, which is, right. which is not irrelevant. I mean, it's uh, it's just solid, very efficient body, uh, hits hard, tough to kill. Right, even, you know, even if it eats a removal spell in one of those powers, they're, they're taking two damage to do it. Absolutely. Um, whether it be a Wrath, whether it be a Path, a Swords, or something like that, uh, mm-hmm. they're getting punished for it. Uh, God forbid if your opponent actually has to do some like card manipulation and cast <laughs> some, some amounts of card drawing or you know things like that, and they're just going to get big. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of scenarios where you could just brick people out of the game. Um, I, I don't know how often you, people will be able to afford to cast something like a time spiral, maybe underneath the, underneath this on a relatively low life level. Like, seems like you can set yourself up just to just to get crushed. I, I, are there storm decks in blue or white that that people play? I guess it's mind society. <laughs> yeah, I don't and know. That's I, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there's any any strategies that is just that is just shut off, but. 
it, it just seems like it's going to be a big pain in the butt to to those kinds of decks. And you know what? If that, that's cool with me. That's another reason why I really like uh, I really like Gutter Snipe in my queue. It's just that yeah, it's a two two for three or whatever, which isn't that impressive. But you just pick up all this extra value that you don't realize how much it's worth until you do it, and then you're like, wow, this is actually a lot, you know. So I, I, I did find spark. Haven't even said the word counterspell. Yeah. Oh, good lord. Oh yeah, you want to counter that spell? You want to counter my next drop? Oh yeah, take two. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, take two. Oh yeah, take two. Oh yeah, take two. Yeah, I I dig it. I I like it. I think it fills a a needed role in the three drop category in red for for good aggressive cards that stick around. I, I think the closest analog for that would be like Chandra's Phoenix because yeah. you know that almost all the time always gets in for two. But I think this has, definitely has higher end potential than, than even like there was the Reckoner, which which I think is actually a fine a fine card as well. So and certainly seems mostly unblockable uh, most of the time in play, and, and becomes an even bigger problem if you start putting equipment on it because people are like, well, am I going to take this much from it, or do I want to sacrifice a creature and still take that much? Like, so. Cool. Well, I wanted to get that one in before we moved on to uh, some of the other ones. So, someone else could take the next one. It's your ogre battle driver, I guess, or me. If, if, if you want to talk about it, talk about it. Two double red three three. Whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, it gets plus two plus zero till in haste until end of turn. What was it in the web of war or something from the Trayers? Yeah. Well, it's reminiscent of that five-drop mythic, too, right? Which one? Which one? Uh, the... Vertebrast? Yeah. The, you, okay. the guys cast after it get to attack right away? Yeah. Okay. Whee! Uh, I really want this guy to be good. I don't I don't know how good he's going to end up being, but I... I mean, his, his ability sure is sweet, but... 3-3 three, three for 4, and then... You know, you got to do stuff after this when most of your creatures are going to come down before him. So, right, and, and that was always my problem with Urabras, is that while his ability is nice, the the real value should be stuff you play afterwards, much like a, a Fires of the Avamaya that you wanted to set up your future plays. But I don't know how much future, how many future plays there are at this. Also, in case you didn't notice, red four drops are really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of really, really good red four drops, most of which are either have haste and powerful abilities, or you know do things like planes on top of, which I, I think makes it tough to break into that kind of section. Now, had this, would it say whenever any creature, whenever a creature comes into play, so it would, he would be a five three attacker with haste on the first turn you play him? That's a little bit and different. Then we might be talking a different story, but oh yeah, I, I would definitely play this guy then. I think he's. I think he goes from probably barely not good enough to auto include if that's the case. Right, and I, unfortunately, we don't get to change magic cards uh, to to suit what we want exactly what we want them to do, and uh, you know, I only change cards that can't be changed. You know, it just has to be that way. I don't want to live in a world where Zoltan doesn't have Zoltan. Same. Hmm. But it's true. Uh, it's, it's just the way I feel about it. 
But this guy, I don't feel the need to drive any battles with him and, and, and make him different. I think for Red Drop, for Drop, he's quite well, so. That's a room for me. Yeah. I think, uh, I was talking to Kenny Mayer about this. I think he's going to try it, but I mean, his cube is uh, 1,300 cards. <laughs> uh, I like how the number is like a random large number. It's like, yeah, he's got a 1,420 yeah. card cube. Yeah, he actually brings it to tournaments with a pallet jack now. Yeah. He's going to, so I think he's going to throw four copies in and try to draft ten times, see if he can see it once. <laughs> Oh. All right, let's uh, let's keep going. There's really only one more red card you want to talk about. Yeah, and, yeah. it's I, a I, good I, one though. It, it's a good one. So, uh, who wants it? Call it. I'll take it. I'll grab it. All this. right. All right. So this is this is my number three. Definitely going to be awesome card for the set. Young Pyromancer. This was one of the first cards spoiled. I remember actually, uh, Usman, you you texted me when you first saw this card. And we were talking about it a little bit, and I was just instantly impressed. And it kept mm. getting better, like as as I as I found out about it. So it's a uh, a two one for one and a red. And it says whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, put a one one red elemental creature token onto the battlefield. And note, it is not red instant or sorcery; it is any color instant or sorcery. I think this guy is awesome for a number of reasons. Very efficient body. Um, he obviously is a lightning rod for removal uh, of any sort, but if he can stick around for a couple turns and even just give you a couple of 1-1s off of your spells that you're already going to be casting, whether they're burn spells, draw spells, counter spells, literally anything, um, it just seems like you can get uh, so much value off of this guy. Kind of, kind of like you were talking about with Gutter Snipe. It's really just like incidental value from just playing the game you're already going to be playing anyway. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? I, I completely agree. Um, my first thought when this card came out was playing it in a deck alongside of Gutter Snipe too. You know, like just how how annoying is that going to be? Like the red blue spell matters decks, or even like the the removal heavy or burn heavy red decks. I mean, you're, you're going to amass quite a bit of, of extra damage and extra value just from doing what you're doing anyway. Uh, I, I feel like it's as close to an auto-include as possible. Um, to, I, you know, like I said, because of the fact that it doesn't have to be a red spell or instant, it's so important. Like I said, because you, know, you can just play them on turn two, and even if you're countering spells or just, you know, doomblading people or whatever it is, you're just picking up all this extra damage for... For no additional cost whatsoever. So, yeah, if this guy does not make it into your cube, I would love to see your cube list. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some reports of this guy hasn't didn't do anything for us already, but you know, I, I, I there are very few people whose opinions I trust in the in the testing process uh, until I get a chance to see it myself. And even then. Uh, there are certainly cards that have played differently for, for different people. So um, I can't imagine not putting this in. I just wish the artwork were a little less hideous. Yeah. A, I think the I mean the art itself I think the art itself is fine, but that kid just looks pretty awkward. The good hey, news guys. is Go ahead, go ahead. Give me okay, hey guys, I I'm like cast a spell. It's like <laughs> it's like some bad Harry Potter kid is like, Oh, uh uh-uh. uh. 
the good news is uh, this is an uncommon that is constructed playable, and they tend to like to make those into FNM or game day promo. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I would not be shocked to see an alternate art young pyromancer sometime in the future. Oh, a bit of pun in there, too. He would not be shocked. Ah, Whoa. Hell. Whoa. Ah, ah, ah. That, that was pretty nice. Yeah. No, I, th- I dig this card. I think it's sweet. Uh, and while certainly Goblin Piker is not much to be excited about, hey, man, if you're still attacking for two with your two drop, uh, you're, it's certainly not a, a horrible place to be, um, especially when you can you know, get the one drop, two drop, remove your guy, attack, remove your guy attack with extra forces, you know, it, it can definitely build up incremental value that way. So, I'm down. I, I think this card is very good. I think it's going to... I think I'm going to get some reps in it before calling it a, a 360 type of card. Um, but certainly a medium-sized cube should be able to find room for this for this guy fairly easily. Yeah, I've been pretty happy with it in testing so far. Like it... I think I've seen it usually make at least a guy, if not two, which is fine. I think two's probably going to be about average, if I were to guess. Yeah. And, like, I in the deck where I had it, it was, like, uh, where I was making, like, a couple guys, I had greater Gargadon, so I could, like, get value. I was like, chump block, chump block, I got a big Gargadon kind of thing. And he just seems sweet in so many different kind of decks. Yeah, mm-hmm. just all, like I said, you know, even in just like the count, the more board controlling decks, counter spell decks, counter burn type decks, even, it's just like, you know, uh, either you're buying yourself a ton of extra time or you're just building up, you know, that much more of a force to actually kill your opponent. I don't know. I, 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 I'm finding, I'm having trouble finding ways, reasons not to like this card. The only thing I can maybe see is if it was like, again, it may just be like, yeah, I don't know. I'm guessing like in a like a aggressive deck that doesn't have enough instants or sorceries, but like other spells. I'm I, I don't know. I'm kind of reaching here. <laughs> like, it has its spells are planeswalkers and equipment and like a couple of burn spells. I don't e- know. Even so, even if you have a lot of creatures, this guy's uh, it's just a two one for one. If you know that you are not spell heavy and your opponents don't, they have to block this guy instead of your better creatures. That's true. All right, can't exactly just let this guy stick around for no reason. Exactly. I mean, they yeah. have to assume if this guy's in your deck, all right, well, i got to kill this guy in combat. I could trade one of my actual good creatures for your Goblin Piker, unbeknownst to them, mm-hmm. um, and let your three-power and four-power guys hit me. It's like with uh, Abyssal Persecutor, if you just play it blind, they'll still probably assume you have the kill spell. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, can you possibly afford to let that thing live? No, I mean, there's there's a lot of creatures I feel that way about like uh, a card that I know a lot of not a lot of other people like that I recently included uh, uh, and once again I, I'm in a podcast so I can't think of the names of cards the <laughs> three mana zero one that you tap for three mana oh Somberwald 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 how can you let that guy live ever that guy is terrifying yeah like, can you honestly ever let people untap with that card if you have any reason any way at all to kill it like. You have no idea what's going to happen to you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially if they're like, turn one elf, turn two Somberwald Sage, go. Like, good lord. Like, yeah, what do I do now? Turn three Elishnorn? Like, what is going on? Like, I don't... Like, near Battlesphere? Like, what is... What on earth is going to happen to me? 
you know, if I let this guy live. I thought he was just terrifying. Completely agree. And part of my goal for the longest time, and I was I was so wrong. And I played it in multiple other people's queue. And I was like, man, I just gotta put this in. I keep I keep getting my ass beat by it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's terrifying. Yeah, I, mean, I think it makes so much mana. I mean, you just can't. I mean, if you really want to let people cast like turn three primeval titans, like See, it's probably not a place where you want to be. You know. So, I, I do like a lot of the. And, and I, maybe I like them more than most, but I like a lot of the. You can't possibly let this thing stick around or let me untap with its cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that if you let me have this card, you're probably going to pay for it in a, in a significant way. Uh, which is one of the which is one of the many reasons why I still like Morari's Wake over you know even though it's a very deep color combination. It's. There, there are so many games won and lost by letting people untap with that card that it's it, it's it's real rough. So, and I kind of like having those kind of tensions in my games of cube magic. So, and, and with Somberwald Sage, it's always best to have as many Lanor Elves as you can in your deck to play it on turn two. So why not add another Lanor Elf? Oh my God! Oh, Segway! Oh my God! <laughs> Good old Elvish Mystic. I've seen people like going, eh, I'll just replace Finhorn Elves, and honestly, I'm going to be blunt. Add them all. Well, yes. <laughs> but I was going to say that people are like, I'm just going to replace Finhorn Elves. It's just laziness. Honestly, it just seems like being lazy. It just seems like it's like, I don't want to make a difficult choice, and eh, Finhorn Elves is worse art. It's like, come on, like art, really? Like, Lanwar Elves isn't good enough where you want three of them? Like, that's... No, that's absurd. Yeah, you guys remember that time that someone stood up while drafting and said, there's too many damn Lanwar Elves in this draft. <laughs> well, actually, that I never happened. I'm able to accelerate starting at turn one. This is the worst. I don't want to do this in my decks. This is awful. I hate, I hate Moxes that can carry swords. I only want one. I only want two in my deck. I don't want more. I mean... Yes, there are, all, are a lot, like, in a lot of cubes, you know, like, uh, Lanoir, Finhorn, uh, Noble Hierarch, Tree Streaker, yeah, Mbop. There's so much, but it's like, I don't see how one, how it's like, that is, like, too many, you know? I think they're all just, like, really solid cards that go along with what Green wants to do. Like, you know, yeah, either... Avacyn's Pilgrim, Elves of Deep Shadow, uh, right. one from Old Snap, Boreal Druid... I certainly think you can replace if you don't. I certainly think you can replace like Boreal Druid or uh, like Elves of Deep Shadow with this because it's, you know, the, the Green Man is going to be more uh, beneficial in for the most part than a, a colorless Snow Mana or something like that. Mm-hmm. If, if you really feel that way about it, but I mean, who who doesn't want three Lanor Elves in their cube? I mean, speaking of which, quick tangent, uh, Hanson of the aforementioned Mbop song, which I have to say every time I play Birds of Paradise, uh, now has their own beer. It's a pale ale, and they're developing an IPA called Mbops. Oh, man. Not, not joking. You, you think I'm joking. I, no, I, I believe you, which is the saddest part. Yeah, I was about to say, I believe you 100%. Mbops. That's awful. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got to give them credit. At least they have aged with their audience. 
Yes, this is true. Yeah. And they're you know, and they're they're actually pretty good musicians. I think they're actually coming out with another album here soon. I heard uh, an interview on uh, on the uh, Adam Carolla podcast recently that that they're still releasing albums and still playing. And it's disturbing to see that they're all like married with children now, including the small child playing drums. Wow. Other than that, so yeah, Lionel Elves. Should play those. They're sweet. No more, no more um hops. <laughs> yeah. Uh oh. Hello. Oh. Hello. I'm oh. still here. Uh, there, you there you go. I, I just muted myself because I'm stuck in my face and didn't want to sound fat. No, I, I mean, I'm whatever. I'm, yeah, just like I, I didn't hear like the sound in the back. I was like, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> the bomb. It happened. It finally happened. It's like shit. No, I muted because I was jamming my face full of something to eat. Okay. Speaking. Gotcha. Speaking of jamming your face full of something to eat, that's exactly what Garut Caller of Beasts looks like he's doing because he is incredibly fat in this picture. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's Fat Garrick, man. I've heard, fat yeah, Garrick. I've heard the term Fat Garrick. Uh, I've heard that, yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's why they made a black version of him so he'd be more slimming. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> this guy is getting. He, he even looks exasperated in the photo, like he's just been like, like he's just tired from walking. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I just walked uphill. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I just hiked up this mountain. Ugh. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about Garrick because, ah, uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'm, I want to be convinced. So Garrick, Color of Beast, is a six-mana planeswalker with starting loyalty of four. Uh, his plus one is reveal the top five cards of your library. Put all creature cards revealed this way into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. His minus three is you may put a green creature from your hand onto the battlefield, a.k.a. dramatic entrance. His ultimate, which is a minus seven, is that you get an emblem with whenever you cast a creature spell, you may search your library for a creature card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle your library. All right. So talk to me about this six-mana monstrosity. What are you guys thinking? Usman, why don't you take this one? I think, I think you're more excited about him than I am, so... I don't know if excited is the right word. I, think, I mean, I think he's pretty good. Like, there's the usual tropes that, like, he doesn't defend himself, which I think in the testing that I've had with him, if you can cast him and he doesn't die then he usually has a very positive impact on the game. That seems about right. Seems like his uh, his plus one is going to draw you two cards on average. Yeah, I think it's like 1.8 or something, or like in a 15-creature deck, I think it's like 1.875, but usually it's like about two. If you get like one creature, it's it's a pretty bad feeling, and if you get like zero, then, then you... You just lost the game if you got zero. <laughs> yeah, you just... You lose six life. Ma- the old six-mana-do-nothing play. <laughs> so good. Yeah, so you're probably drawing uh, three cards over two turns with his plus one. Would you say that's about accurate? Yeah. Okay. Like, even if it's, like, defending, like... And the dramatic entrance, I think, is nice when you get it plused. Because I think the abilities tend to feed themselves pretty well. Like, the plus, it gets more creatures... Like, the plus is nice to be able to just, like, when you get a ton of creatures in your hand with plus, it helps you more efficiently utilize your mana. So it's like, oh, I have a uh, six-drop 
all dramatic entrance into play and then just like play all the, play this, play this, play this, go. Yeah, I think uh he's you know, he's another one of the planeswalkers that is that is linearly built. Unlike unlike Chandra earlier, you know, all of his all of his abilities go well with each other. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Chandra's more of the built in the I guess the Jace the Mind Sculptor type. You know, let's just throw some good stuff on there and see if this planeswalker turns out good. But uh Those are the Chinese he, Chinese takeout style yeah. or whatever they call it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, I mean he seems like um you know if you, if you can if you can get him going, like basically if you can tap with him, I feel like you're gonna be in a pretty good position, but uh yeah. I mean that's kind of the question, like it's it's really difficult to have yourself in a situation where you can comfortably play him on six and then plus one him. Because most of the time you're probably going to be playing him from a a Lenore Elf type creature or board position where you're tapping your creatures for mana uh, and you're not really going to be able to block if he tries to get attacked. So even though he goes to five loyalty, um, he's, you know, he's going to be tough to utilize if he gets under three or he gets to uh, be be able to not use his minus three by the time he can untap it, which is the main part of my concern. Yeah, and because he's a six, the creatures are going to be naturally a little more powerful on both sides of the table. Um, so his his loyalty is at higher risk than uh, than perhaps would normally be because of what should be either a higher number or a higher power of creatures on the board. That's right. Now. So my yeah, the, the one thought I always I keep having with this, and, and tell me if this is unreasonable or not, is I look at this card and I think, okay, so six mana for a dramatic entrance, right? Because we probably have yeah. to dramatic entrance him. Um, what am I going to put in play that is dramatically that much of a discount over just playing it anyway? I think that may not be the best way to use it, honestly. Like, I think it's... I think oh for, oh, for sure it's not the best way to use it, but I wonder if that's the way you have to use it. You know, piggybacking off of uh, Justin's point of you may be tapping your creatures to be able to, to play this guy in the first place. Yeah. I haven't had that happen too much. Like, and there's sometimes, yeah, when you'll just, it seems like when you'll play this, but yeah, a lot of the times there aren't a lot of creatures that are bigger than the six. Like, I'm not playing Progenitus because that card is terrible. Right, once again, falls into the can't actually play it, can only really cheat it in the play. Yeah. yeah. But, like, you know, would you rather, I mean... Like, it's definitely the worst of the six drops that I'm running right now, and because of that, I see it not lasting very long. Like, it's worse than, like, the, the green six that I have are Primeval Titan and uh, Rampaging Baylogs, and I think Garrick is definitely... Definitely worse than Prime Titan, probably worse than Rampaging Baylog. Yeah, it, it's interesting. That's that's kind of where I am with it. It's like, if you can play this on a non-threatening board, you're probably, it's probably just going to be worth a ton of value between cards drawing and, uh, you know, free creatures, basically, you know, getting to uh, play creatures for free. But other than that, like, I just, I guess I have a hard trouble, I, I guess I have some trouble imagining the game 
where I want to play this guy instead of just playing another creature. Yeah. Yeah, like a Prime Titan or Orm right. or something. And, and, and what you know, and while having going Garrick into Primeval Titan and still having your Garrick left over is better than just playing Primeval Titan. Um, I, it just adds another factor of okay, well, do I want to play this card if I you know do I want to play this and then put a four drop in the play? You know what I mean? Do I want to play this and then put a bail off in the play? If it, if it defends Garrick, I think that's fine. Like, as long as it's able to aptly defend Garrick. Like, if it's, like, a slime or, like, a bailout, I think that's okay. But then wouldn't you, you know, but my point is, is then, then wouldn't you rather, is, and I don't know the answer to this at this point, is wouldn't you rather just then play the creature and maybe save that slot in your deck for something else? So I just don't know how, if we agree that playing him and minus three right away is not exactly where you want to be to get the most value out of them, then, but if that's the mode that's used most often, is does that cause a problem in, in what his role is? I don't think it's, it's the, a mode that's most used often, though. At least that's what I've seen. Do you feel like his... Uh... So, okay. Out of, the, out of the top two modes, what do you feel like is the drawing point to make you want to play this Planeswalker? Is it the plus one? I think it's probably the plus one. Just being able to just plus it and get value kind of thing. Okay. Minus three is just kind of like bonus. Yeah, and like, for me, I, like, I, I think I agree with that, but I, I just don't know how excited I am by paying six mana to get this plus one ability. If yeah. That's where, if, that's where, if that's where all the juice is, then I don't know. I, I'm not convinced that that's where I want to be. And I, I don't feel this way, and perhaps unfairly, but I don't really feel this way about any of the other Garricks. Yeah, I think this is definitely the worst of all the Garricks. Like, I think it's worse oh, than, yeah, sure. than uh, Primal Hunter, for sure. Like, yeah, it's... it's just, all the, I don't think that even needs a whole lot of... Right, and, and, I, and that oh. might be... I think that's not only a byproduct, and I guess, for comparison purposes, it, it gives me the feel-bads, too, because... If you're paying more mana for a card, ostensibly the card should be better than a card that's cheaper than it. Right? So if we're just talking about vanilla creatures, I should expect my four mana creatures to be bigger than my three mana creatures. AKA better. Mm-hmm. But this six drop Garrick is, I don't even think the abilities are even better than a lot of the, the four and five drop Garrick abilities especially with how they play into each other. Like, yeah, is it better than untapping two lands, the plus one? Well, yeah, it is, except for the fact that you can then overrun very quickly, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, with the, the original, with OG Garrett. So I, I guess that's the way I feel about it, is that for the increased cost and to and the opportunity cost of not including another card in and adding a fourth Garrick to the queue, is, is that worth what he has to offer? And I'm not feeling that way as of right now. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I would love to be convinced otherwise. But I just, I don't know, I just don't, I, I feel like this is a, I feel like this card has the potential to be, to fall into that green mid-range trap of the, the do-nothings just to get value. And then yeah. die. Yeah. Like the the rock deck, you know, I I would love for the black green decks to be super good, but if they are the east, they are by far the 
the black red, the black green mid range checks by far the most appealing, the highest ratio of appealing to the eye and disgusting to play, like as not being good enough. Yeah, they're just checks always look so good, and they're they're so just tired. right. I think of it kind of like as the value based, and you just. Or it's kind of like the everyman in, uh, I don't know who, who uses the everyman in, like, as a, liter- as a kind of like a literary trope kind of like thing where there's like an everyman, like, like Arthur Dent in Hitchhikers, for example. Okay. Like, kind of like that where the rock deck is kind of like that, where it's just kind of like the everyman, just kind of like the ho-hum kind of not doing anything particularly super exciting, or at least the kind of generic rock deck, you know what I mean? Sure. It's like this kind of like, like, you guys have read Hitchhikers or, you know, saw it. Sure. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like this sort of this guy. It's just like some normal British guy going through all this like crazy worlds and whatever. It's just like, I guess like the cube equivalent would be like getting killed on turn four by like a crazy red acro deck or getting yeah. stalled out by mono counter spells or you know something like that. And it's just like this rock deck which kind of just plays fair. And it's you're like I was just trying to play a one drop and two drop a three drop and a four drop, right? And then I died. Yep. Or I was trying. Yeah. Or like I was trying to play like a. Wall of Roots or Wall of Blossoms or something, and, and it's like, well, that, that didn't really do much. Right, you have all these cards that look like they're, you know, all these cards that look like they're worth 1.3 to, to 2 cards each, and then you die. You're like, well, what just happened? I I did this. And, and that was the problem even in Constructed, too. A lot of times there's decks, you would establish control of the game and then not be able to close, and then you'd wind up dying. Yeah. Were they the rock decks around, like, Apocalypse and stuff like that, or...? Yeah, I mean, all, all the way through. The, the only decks that didn't have that problem were, like, the super hyper-token decks with, like, uh, all the five drops, like the Rock and His Millions deck or whatever. So oh, yeah. Use uh, Phyrexian... Uh, Plague Lord. Plague Lord to, like, use all the Squirrel tokens from... And your, uh, what's his name? Your Squirrel tokens and your dudes and just... Yeah, uh... Machine gun and just machine gun your opponent's creatures and be able to keep keep moving along, but it's, uh, I, I, I hate myself whenever I'm trapped into, like, the black-green deck and cube, I and it's just, like, I, I, whenever I have it, and, I, and I've even drafted some iterations of it with, like, three swords, and, like, it's, like, exactly, like, wow, this is one of the best versions of this deck I could have, and, and it's then just literally just get destroyed. <laughs> I, I know exactly what, you, what you're talking about, and I get sucked into that every now and then, too, and it's just, like, man, like, these are all the cards I want, and I'm still not operating on the same level as most of my opponents as far as the power of the cards. So, right, like every, every single time, you know, <clears throat> you're like, oh, all the value, like they just killed my Yavamaya Dryad or Druid or whatever, and you're like, I'm going to go get two lands, and you know, oh, that's two for one here, and two for one here, and two for one here, and wait, I'm dead. Yeah. Like, and I feel like I just can't help but feel that this card has a lot of that potential of the run in place, telling yourself how much value you're getting, and then you die. That said, if you're one of these people who likes to uh, play progenitus and things like that to be able to support that, then whew, get him in there. You know, I have one more question, I guess. Uh I feel like with his with his emblem. Okay. So to get to seven, you have to plus him three times. Mm-hmm. So let's assume you're you've drawn uh, five creatures over those three. Do you think that's reasonable? 
Sure. Yeah. Um, along with your three draw steps that you're playing since then, which may be another creature, so six creatures, how many creatures are in your deck left to get out by the time you... <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, you're getting your, like, you know, unless you're uh, unless you're cheating and you're drawing your cheat creatures... <laughs> yeah. You I mean, you're going to be drawing the stuff that you want to be cheating into play in your hand, um, and then you're just going to have... I don't know. I mean, it just seems like... That seems like a kind of like a... Not necessarily a deck-building nightmare, but um, once you get into practice, like, even if you get to the best point of the card where your opponent really wasn't doing anything, um, and you're plus-plus-plusing, and you're playing like, you're like, well, I want to wait to play these creatures, because I want to get free creatures, but I need to play them now, because if I keep waiting, I'm just going to draw my creatures and try to cheat in the play. And it's just a, I don't know, a negative, uh, seems like a negative deck-building experience. Yeah, but like I, I can only imagine one of the few ways that that comes out well is if you have, like, a crater hoof still in your deck. And yeah, you can just, like, play all your guys out and just be like, oh, last one's a crater hook, you're dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but if you just draw it, then you're like, well, that didn't work. I can add dramatic action some instead or something, instead of minus seven. I guess I'll tap out, cast this crater hook, and go get my other lane war elves. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Plus one. Go get River Boa. Block this, sucker. <laughs> at, least it gets the bo- at least it gets the bonus then, right? Because it's whenever you cast the spell... You can search up the other one and put it to play, and then your first one comes in, so he gets the bonus. That's true. Oh, yeah, nice. So, there is that. But, yeah, I don't know, man. I, I, I'm i not feeling it, but I'd love to be convinced otherwise. Uh, I, I just feel like it's a little too difficult to... Even though all his abilities play well together, I feel like this may be much more of a constructed card than... Uh, than a, even a custom limited card. At least as far as the emblem is concerned. Yep. Totally agree. Like, the emblem seems very, very tinny to me. Yeah. Unlike, you know, an Elspeth emblem, for example. Or like Koth, where it's just like, well, you're dead. Right. Good, good luck winning this game. Vinter, <laughs> Tamio, they all just kind of Kind of lock it up. Yeah. Yeah. There, you know, and I was talking about Koth with somebody the other day, and, you know, people try to convince me that, that Koth was very good at constructed. Like, I don't remember very many red decks being super awesome at, at that time. Uh, I remember it, it definitely, like, the Boros deck, like the Landfall Boros deck was a thing in Standard, but I don't remember it being, like, super awesome. But, good lord, is Koth so ridiculous and limited. In all forms. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, Even the middle so ability, it's saying like its middle, middle ability is is not. I don't think it really uses middle ability once, but I don't think it really matters. Yeah, I, I may have used it once, and it actually, you're right. It actually just doesn't matter because you know, unlike uh, Awaken the Ancient, you actually just get to bash with your mountain the first <laughs> turn too, mm-hmm. and then like all of a sudden you're like, oh wait, crap, I'm dead. All your mountains turn into uh, turn into pings. Oh my god! How did I possibly win this game? So uh, I I don't know. It, it, it's just speaking of constructed. It's just I feel like it's a huge difference in how it played out in constructed compared to how it plays out in, even in, in, in cube limited. Yeah. It's just like one of the. It, it's 
one of the very few red cards that just will make me jam as red as possible instantly whenever I see it. Agreed. Agreed. Okay. Sorry, didn't mean to start talking about top there and get a sidetrack, but just between our talk of Chandra earlier and, and being a format of playing Walker and, and talking about uh, Garrick and its applications, it just yeah, it was so topical. I feel like that was a it was a good a good analogy, a good well, a good reverse analogy hmm. to what we're to what we're looking for. Cool. Cool. I don't have to talk about theremins or anything like that quite yet, so <laughs> so we should keep some of our audience. So, speaking of things that hold your attention, well, the Colonial Hydra. I guess I, I guess I'm taking this one. Three double green for a zero zero trample. All right, that's Dude, that card sucks. I'm out of here. See, <laughs> that was a one. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> Next, <laughs> enters the battlefield with four plus one plus one counters on it, and whenever Colonial Hydra attacks. Double the number of plus one plus one counters on each creature you control. I like this creature. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I, I anyone else feel like they finally got it right with one of these hydras? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not willing to say that yet, because they sure have hell. Sure as hell have tried hard with printing hydras for what four years now and having them be terrible. This it sounds like it's been longer, but yeah, and there's also another Hydra in this set, which is like an X. Well, that, that card is real bad, too. Yeah, that card's trash. Yeah, this, uh, he seems sweet. He seems sweet. Um, if, uh, this is one of those creatures where you're like, you just slap him down, you kind of look at your opponent, waiting for them to kill him, you're like, is he going to die? Nope. All right, well, I'm going to kill the shit out of you now. <laughs> is this going to die? Nope. You're gonna, You're gonna die. <laughs> so someone's dying here, and I'm feeling it's not me personally. I'm waiting to achieve, get the achievement of that under a mimic bed, and just be like, make a make a Hydra EOT, make one during my main phase, attack you for like what thirty two or something. Jeez, it's, it's like it's a attack a four four. They get a four four, and then they double and double again. So it'd be like sixteen. Yeah, thirty two. Now, ooh, 32 trample damage, mind you. Yeah, the That's trample big is thing. big. Dra- trample is a big game on this. Like, big makes a huge difference on this one. So many times you get like this, like with the, a lot of the other hydras, it's like it's a big guy. It's a 10-10, and it's just like no trample. It's just like, well, okay, block with lingering souls. <laughs> Lucky with my uh, whatever my my young paramancer guy. You know, it doesn't want to do anything. It's like, come on, just need something. Yeah, at some point, like when you know, it's sort of cracking up with like Croson Cloud Scraper or whatever it is. Like, it's a thirteen thirteen without trample. Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, or if, if if I try to imagine what a thirteen thirteen would look like in real life, and if I stood in front of my house and said, "You can't come in." Would it be able to get in on the first attempt past me and through me? Probably, right? You would, would think so. It would fight you, and then it would get tired. Like, uh, right. I'm done. Oh, man. Better hope, better hope somebody plays too green on my upkeep, or I'm going back to bed. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a dirt nap. Hey, hey tree folk, you're barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> uh, to, to, to go in your dirt nap comment. I like it. 
so yeah, I, I, I dig this guy. I, I think if there's if there's an aggressive five drop green creature to be had, I think it fits very well alongside of things like uh, Silverheart. Um, this card is actually making me consider removing removing some of the more mid rangey five drops. I see. Genesis. Genesis. Genesis is a card that you know. Obviously, I, I have a lot of respect for, but good lord, this card makes Genesis look real bad. Yeah, like there's something like Colony Hydra is a big dumb beater, but it does it really well. Like there's the obvious OMG dice to removal. Okay. Cool. Yeah, but if it doesn't die, and the fact that it, you know, I, I don't think the the doubling counters on all your creatures actually matters somewhat. I mean, there are certainly other creatures now we're seeing that have plus one, plus one counters. Yeah, it's so mostly it's just flavor. It's mostly flavor text. It's mostly flavor text, but I do like the fact that that exists. Yeah. That it's not just himself, that it's actually other creatures. Yeah. I mean, um, you can randomly spike, like, a plus one, plus one counter on, like, your Dross Messenger or Experiment 1 or something, which is nice. I mean, I mean Experiment 1 is certainly a, a real uh, a real interaction with this card, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, we don't have any green. Uh, I would say we have green for cis creatures. We don't have any green. Uh, what's his name? Creatures. Undying. Uh, Strangleroot guys. Oh, Strangleroot guys. Oh, yeah, right. oh. Okay, so, so there's another interaction. That's a hell of a turn. Hell of a curve. Uh, yeah. So you know that. I mean, that's that's something that maybe not completely unrealistic. I think there's. There, there's places to, to get your value out of that. And once again, uh, as Justin was saying earlier, it's something that will continue to get better as time goes on. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, as, as we pick up extra things. But, you know, swinging for eight trample, uh, uh, possibly on turn five, I mean, when, when I look at a lot of, like, green creatures in the five or less category, I kind of always, in my mind, think about what they would be like to pass the turn early because of the amount of elves and things like that. Um, so a lot of times I'll think of casting fives on turn four, uh, you know, with sometimes you get the outlier of casting fives on turn three. But usually turn four is kind of where I place them in my mind of being able to go uh, one, three, four, five as your curve in green. Um, and being able to attack for eight on turn five with this guy, if you've had, a, you know, any other, doing anything else seems pretty good. And it's obviously the trample that makes it. And if this guy sticks around for two turns, I mean, come on. I mean, that's it. Okay, right. Yeah. They're, they're just dead, right? I mean, you, if you get attacked by an 8-8 trample and a 16-16 trample, aren't you pretty much just dead? I mean, any 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 card that just has a two-turn clock in and of itself, I think needs to, to, to be looked at carefully. Uh, unfortunately, this one's a mythic, much like many of the other cards that we're talking about here, so... Financially, it's going to be uh, an interesting, uh, an interesting situation to try to find these cards if you're if you're like me and prefer the uh, the shinies. But it's certainly worth it. Certainly seems like it should be worth the trouble, especially if you're if you're into only playing powerful cards and you're still carrying along cards like Genesis. I think it's uh, it'd be an easy path to move on from that. And I don't think there is any more terrifying card with the Lightning Greaves than this card. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. 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 Yeah? Oh, God. This thing, this thing carries pants like a, like a beast, literally. 
Yeah, wow. Like, any sword on this guy. Speaking of the sword pull, wow. If I'm, yeah. if I'm, if I'm, uh, if I'm sitting down and my opponent goes, turn one, land war elf, turn two, elf, and lightning greaves, I'm, I'm getting pretty nervous. <laughs> yeah. Like, turn three. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, draw the Doom Blade, draw the Doom Blade, draw the Doom Blade, don't have the Doom Blade. Yeah. Come on, just, come on, just play uh, Wolf Your Silverheart and attack yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take or, that. Or, or, <laughs> so maybe I have a turn to unpair it when he attacks me next time. <laughs> See, more than that, right? God, it would be like 5 plus 8, so 13 to 5 over 2. I'm just getting images of, like, a sword. This guy carrying a sword. It's just By the way, I, I got attacked for, like, 15 the other day in standard on turn three. I'm still I'm still upset about that, by the way. Was it, like, a thousand of those Burning Schema series? No, no so, all right, so I'm playing Vant Hexproof, right? And I have, and I'm playing against, my, I know I'm playing against Mono Green. And my opening, I can go, uh, basically my opening is turn two, uh... Invisible Stalker, turn three, uh, the new Armadillo Cloak. And then I have, like, a pair of Ethereal Armors and, like, another... I have, like, an Voice of Resurgence in hand or something with, you know, lands. I'm like, all right, this should go pretty well. Like, I'm on the draw. And he's like, you know, uh, land, uh, experiment one, go. And I just have to play a land and pass. So he goes, second land... um, uh, Centaur, the one-drop Centaur 2-1 that we just got, the white green hybrid one. Oh, Dryad Militant. Dryad Militant. He's like, Dryad Militant, up my guy, Rancor, Experiment 1, attack you for 4. I'm like, alright, well, yeah, that's pretty good, but alright. We're, we're off to the races. Right, right, alright, alright, time to race. We can, we can, as long as I can live for two more turns here, like, or, or three more turns, I'm good, because I can start gaining some life, and it's gonna, it's gonna be rough. And I'm like, so I'm like, you know, turn to Invisible Stalker Pass, Next turn he goes, oh, Miracle Revenge of the Fallen on my, uh, oh my gosh. on my centaur, um, yeah. attacking with both Giant Growth, Giant Growth. Jeez. What? So not only did I lose, <laughs> did I lose my guy to attack with, <laughs> but I also took 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 17, Trample damage coming at me, so I took 16 or something. Like, died on turn three. <laughs> I'm like, what? See, Anthony, you were playing the wrong format. You should have been playing modern where they don't want you to die on turn three. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't even. Is this real? Like, I, I felt so good about my draw. I'm like, oh, you know, random green aggressive deck. Like, we just get to gain 400 life a turn. Like, nope, just died. Wow. Just died. Pretty awesome. All right, that's all I can say about that. But yeah, it, it happens in standard also. <laughs> wow. Back for uh, a So yeah. Speaking of right. uh, mono green aggro, Ooh. the colonial. <laughs> I'm not as good at these segues, I guess. <laughs> I thought I had a good one. <laughs> so speaking of colonial tusker. Oh, Colonian. 
Uh, yep, there he is. 3-3 three, three. Oh. green. So, GG 3-3. Three, three. So here's the thing. Watch Wolf hasn't been in my queue for a really long time. Yeah. That's, uh... That's all I White green is a pretty hard nut to crack. Still. I don't think I'm any more excited by green green. Three threes for color color are, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, you know, the fact that I, I think if I were still jamming the mono green aggro thing, and, you know, consequently maybe running Revenge of the Hunted and things like that to just try to really jam it, maybe this would be something I'd be interested in, but as it stands, I'm just not excited by it. I mean, if I didn't try to find a way to jam, you know, like Vanquisher, like Wolf Run, uh, Ren's Run Vanquisher or whatever, uh, that wouldn't have taken much, much, too much more effort because there were a lot of playable elves around at that time. And I, I don't think I want to play this guy, so. Just not exciting enough. I mean, would you rather play this or would you rather play Rafellos on turn two? To be fair, Rafellos is absurd. Would you rather play this or would you rather play the Disenchant on a stick? That's a two, two or whatever he is. Viridian Zealot? Yeah. This guy? Yeah, I think I'd rather play this guy than the Zealot, too, but... <laughs> it's it's just not exciting either way. You no, it's not. Slice of life. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I don't really have any analysis other than this guy's boring, um, and I'm not supporting green aggro, so I'm not even really interested. All right. So, since I appear to have talked about all the other ones, I'll, I'll do this one, too. Rich Stalker. Uh, the, the last of our uh, hate cards... The, the creatures of built and hate. Uh, Rich Stalker is a 3 3 hex proof for a 1 green green, and whenever an opponent casts a blue or black spell during your turn, put a plus 1 plus 1 counter on Witch Stalker. So, while this card I think is, is very solid in the hex proof deck, because you know it's got hex proof and all, uh, and, a, and a decent body size. The hate aspect of this card is not as uh, potent. Yeah, not as potent as as some of the other ones that we've seen so far. Uh, specifically, the the red and the black ones. Um, I think if it said blue or black spell, the end, <laughs> or yeah. blue or black sorcery or instant or something like that, or blue or black non-creature spell. Um, but basically, it's just like, you know, trying to punish them for countering your spells. Because they're, they're trying to stop the witches, right? They're stalking the witches. So, anybody who has Doomblade on your turn or tries to counter your spells is, is going to keep this thing. Um, you know, Hexproof is a, is a heck of a mechanic. Uh, it is it is real rough uh, to deal with. Um, but I, I'm just not convinced that this is necessarily where we want to be. Uh, if you want a hate card, I think uh, what's his name is just better. Uh, Great Sable yeah. Yep. yeah, which is also but, another core card, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's where you want to be if you want a hate card. Um, and, and while you know this, you know, if we imagine the world where we always play this on turn two because we have so many elves to play on turn one. Um, I, I'm still not convinced it's that exciting. 
Yeah, I think it just comes down, like, if you're interested in this effect, just ask yourself, do you want this or do you want Great Sable Stag? I, I don't think you want both. Uh, I don't even think Great Sable Stag is that good. So, I'm leave this guy out in the cold. Probably, I, 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 I stag a while ago. I know, Great Sable Stag is uh, apparently super good against uh, fairies. And, uh, and it's like in uh, it's a legacy breaker. Truth, he is uh, he, he is the fairy nightmare. <laughs> until you mean until they added red to the deck when they reprinted lightning bolt. Yeah, yeah. I'm more referencing like Lapilli was like saying something about like legacy, like how like mystical tutor decks or something were so good, and they're like just play great sable stag. What? <laughs> yeah, I I I see if I can find the meme, but like he, I'm gonna get you to 17 on turn four. You just wait. You're not gonna be able to do anything about it. <laughs> Counter this. I'm looking up Great Sable Stag, and then as soon as I type T, uh, Google said Tom Lapilli. Interesting. I'm trying to see if I can find that. I might just link it in the show notes. But yeah, there was some part where he, um, yeah, he said like that. Uh, Great Sable Stag was like the solution to Legacy or something. Like when Legacy was just like really bad, like mental misstep and reanimator and all that stuff. He's like, just play Great Sable Stag, you'll be okay. How's Great you, Sable Stag do anything against reanimator? I have no idea. I, I, maybe it wasn't necessarily reanimator, but I know it was against like those kind of unfair decks. He was like, play Great Sable Stag, you'll be fine. And nope, nope, nothing. <laughs> Is there a green, like, dark ritual that I'm missing? Uh, yes. <laughs> Great ritual. Is it, like, Brutus ritual? Great ritual, ritual stag. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Is it, like, when it comes into play, you get three mana, too? Like, uh, Priest of Gifts? Oh, yeah, yeah. Or, uh, what's that card? The, uh... I forget what else. Uh, there's the, the one from Mirrodin that you got to bust an inch. You got to bust an artifact and get three, three mana. It cost, uh, it cost three mana and then you kill an artifact and you got three mana. Uh, Deconstruct? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sounds right. Deconstruct? Yeah, apparently, so he said it, um, Great Sable Stag was the ultimate solution to blue and counter spells in Legacy, and that people, if you didn't play it, were dumb. Excellent. Well, that's good to know. <laughs> so, I feel much safer with the uh, Great Sable Stag on my side. Just in cube, yeah, playing cube for that reason. Yeah. You'll always be there for me, Great Sable Stag. You want to counter all my spells. <laughs> Oh, awesome. Yep. So, yeah, like, uh, you know, I, I think Witch Stalker just has more more constructed appeal than, than cube appeal at this point. Uh, even though, you know, green three drops... Uh, can we talk about green three drops for a second to, to kind of line them up and, and see what we have? So, I mean, we have... Uh, we got a troll, right? So we have a troll aesthetic... We have uh, Call of the Herd is around still. You have uh, my Elder. You have my Elder. The aforementioned you have my Elder. Wolf uh, Avenger. Avenger, right, which is another 3-3 three, three for 3. Uh, 
We have uh, Uktabi Orangutan and its elf cousin. Mm-hmm. Um, Ewit. Right, Eternal Witness, of course. Um, do I, are, are we missing just like a really nice, aggressive three-drop in green? I have, uh, this is not an aggressive one, but this is a card that I've been happy with since it's... Uh, uh, Sombra Vault Sage, of course. Sorry. The Sombra Vault Sage. I have Champion of Lampolt in my cube, and I like that card a lot. Oh, Whenever another creature gets, comes into play, it gets bigger? Yep. And not only it gets bigger, but creatures with power less than block. it can block. Nice. That's the important part. And it's a 1-1 start? Or yeah, it start, starts as a 1-1. Okay. And uh, usually usually by the time you untap with it, uh, in most cases you can get it to a 4-4. Or not a 4-4, but a 3-3. And uh, so... Lost by a 4-4. Yeah, it, yeah. Four, only four fours and better can block it. So, it's uh, it, it's been pretty good. And he's obviously insane with swords and any kind of equipment. Another good card with a uh, master biomancer. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. wow! Yeah, sure. So uh, that's a sweet one that I don't think gets a whole lot of run. No, you're right. I don't think it does. I, I think it's it's big in the casual player circles. I think a lot of casual players like that card mm-hmm. because it's always maintained some amount of value on buy lists. Like yep. even ever since it's come out, it's always been like over a dollar on buy lists uh, to the point where I, w- I would wind up, you know, getting it, getting them as throw-ins on trades and just, you know, selling stacks of them to, to websites for a buck or a buck twenty-five or something like that. But you know, I don't know if I've ever really considered that for cute. But sure, wouldn't it be nice to get something? You know, if green's supposed to be the creature color, wouldn't it be nice to get like, you know, I, mean, I guess we have uh, uh, lots of them Smiter as a four-four for three. But like I feel like it should would it would be nice if we can get a, a some some higher power creatures more than three in green without having to do the green 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 route of leatherback bailout. I know, and the uh the, like the three drop spot in green is so critical because it's really the only color you can consistently play a three drop on turn two, and we just right. don't have anything that's excellent. I mean, Wolfer Avenger is very good uh, as far as an aggressive creature goes, but that's it. I'm not really impressed by any of these other creatures. I'm just wanting to kill my opponent. Right, right. As far as attacking, like Sombra World Change is obviously, you know, very yes. good, but for a oh, different yeah. reason. Uh, but yeah, like that, that's, I, I kind of feel that way. And, you know, is this a card that we want? Like, uh, and how much, you know, how many gnarled masses, you know, are worth it? You know, probably not very many, but what are the alternatives? It would sure be nice to have something bigger. And that's why I, I clung to uh, Leatherback Bailoff so much, because a 4-5 on turn 2 is no joke. Um, unfortunately, if people aren't going to draft the card, and people aren't willing to do that, then something needs to change. So, uh, but I, I feel like that's something we, we've been missing, and, I, and I'm hoping maybe that's something we can get at some point in time. That Wizards has certainly done a great job of giving us higher end, uh, like, you know, fives, for example, in recent memory, have been real good, but not so impressed with the, the, the threes that are so important, you know, as because, you know, like I said, the green curve typically wants to go one, three, four, five, or, you know, one, one something five, you know, on turn three. Uh, yeah, I just would like to see something a little bit better out of it, so, unfortunately, I don't think which stalker is it. Yeah. It's like point. the, uh, it's like the lazy love child between Great Sable Stag and a Troll Setic. 
pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such awful imagery. Oh, no. <laughs> I kind of wish I was good at Photoshop. Oh, yeah. I, I would certainly make uh, any copy orangutan style card that features <laughs> all aesthetic and great stable stack. Oh, dear. At this point, for any listeners, we would just accept a picture of the Uktavi orangutan with the face of the Great Sable Stag and Troll Aesthetic on there. Oh, that, you're right. That would work, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, brother. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, like I said, I, I guess I do happen to have a friend who's pretty good at Photoshop, considering my uh, advent of the worm picture. I suppose I could uh, always re- make a request, but... <laughs> I'm, I'm more excited to see what listeners may come up with on their own because, you know, people are pretty creative when it comes to uh, wasting time on the Internet and uh, wasting time on computers. So, What else is it for? It's fair. I mean, all of us who uh, want to be productive, you know. You're right. I, I spoke out of turn. I apologize. <laughs> I wasn't thinking. So let's, uh, let's just move on. <laughs> all right. Uh, there's really uh, there for me. There's only one artifact to be to be uh, yeah. to talk about, uh, and that's uh, haunted plate mail. And uh, haunted plate mail is uh, four drop equipment uh, with an equip cost of four. That the equipped creature gets plus four, plus four. Uh, but it also has this uh, free ability, free. Uh, so for zero mana activation until end of turn. Haunted Plate Mail becomes a 4-4 spirit artifact creature that's no longer an equipment. Activate this ability only if you control no creatures. This card is really interesting. I was about to say, I honestly have no idea what to think of this card. Like, I think it's an interesting, like, if anything, it, it seems like it'd be decent in, like, the Wildfire decks. To, like, not only get your guys above wildfire range, but to just be a dude. But beyond that, I don't really know. I don't know if it's too low impact for, like, the low creature decks, you know? To be a dude? Yeah, I... It's kind of hard to judge. I can... Now, I can visualize this card in Constructed, right? I can visualize this card in, like low creature count uh, like Esper control decks that like you know pretty much just have uh, Aetherling as a win condition of you know because if you don't have very many creatures it's basically can be a 4-4 blocker whenever you want it to be uh, or you know can attack before um, I can also see like I can see it alongside of Mutavault and uh, and Standard huh yeah um, but I, I'm having trouble visualizing this Cube. Um, even though I do like the fact that if you have no creatures to put it on, it makes its own creature, and you still get some value out of it. Um, I don't know. I feel like this is a card I'm going to need some reps with to, to see how it plays, to get any idea of what it's going to be. Uh, what, do you, I, what do you think about this, Justin? This is this is kind of a tough one. I think yeah. without a whole lot of experience. It's 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 very interesting. Uh, pretty much what you said, like. I feel like after seeing this in play, like, once or twice, I'm going to be able to figure it out, but, like, I don't know. I'm I'm leaning towards not liking it because I feel like Magic, and Cube in particular, has just gone towards 
putting creatures into play, I mean, even whether it's like a Wall of Omens or a Seagate Oracle, um, you're, you're sure as hell not playing this for the uh, the fact that you've got to play it for four and then equip it for four. It doesn't matter what your creature would get. That's just not efficient enough. I don't know, man. I'm playing Batterskull to pay, do five and then pay five. That's, that's a deal. <laughs> no, the, yeah, the primary mode of this is just going to have it be a a four 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 that dodges sorcery speed removal. Yeah, right? like a chimeric idol used to do. Right. Yeah, I don't, and I just I don't. See, I don't think that's good enough. I think I'd rather I'd rather spend if, if I'm drafting. I'd rather spend I spend my draft pick elsewhere, or if I'm playing, I think I want to be spending my mana elsewhere to put it into play. I mean, certainly when it, once it's there and you know you're not going to have any creatures, a 4 4 4 4 is fine, but, you know, it's not breaking any records for efficiency or power. Um, I just feel like this gets outclassed too easily. I don't know. Also, as far as equipment goes, it's pretty awful compared to the. Oh, yeah. Equipment. I mean, you would never. I mean, this is like. If this. Uh, I mean, like, at what point do we even talk about this? Let's say this costs. Two and then you equipped it for four and it gave a creature plus four plus four. We still wouldn't even be even talking about this card. And its mana cost is twice that. So I don't know. I feel I feel like this is super difficult to draft where you can utilize it correctly uh, without just purposely making your deck worse just so you can activate it zero ability. Um. Thoughts on uh, the low, and this is the only archetype, at least as of right now, that we're talking about. Uh, what if you do play, you know, the, the Spells Matter archetypes, and you're one of these people who likes to make Delver Secrets work, in which you need a low creature count, a low creature count, high spell density? I mean, would that be a deck that you would want this in? I don't, even, I don't even think so. I think, you know what, if, if that's the deck I'm drafting, I don't want to play any spells that cost more than one on my main phase. Also, good point. Yeah, I... I yeah, I, I mean, after, you know, after your points about it, I'm listening to it, I, I, I'll, I'll definitely lean towards the no side. It's just, I just once again, I feel like in cube that you, you can't spend a lot of time or mana to, to not get anything. Yeah. For it. Like it just the risk is too high, the you know, the, the opportunity you know, with the opportunity cost of, of doing something else or, you know you know, right. And what if you have a creature in fight and you have an equipment that's nowhere near playable if you have any creatures in fight. Like nowhere near playable for something in for something of like the cube, for example. You yeah, know, it just it, it doesn't come close. And in order for you to, you know, you're right. You don't want to make your decks worse just in order to activate the ability of a a myth card anyway. Right. And not only that, like you can't even cast it for four with no creatures and do anything. You have to just pass the turn. Right. It's not haste or anything. You're just kind of sitting there with your four mana invested in this equipment that didn't do anything on your turn. And you're most likely going to be playing this in a as control-based deck as you possibly can. So the last thing you want to be doing is tapping four mana on your turn and passing. Right. Four mana do nothing, pass. Hope that my four-four blocker does something. 
I was yeah, thinking maybe like in a Jundi kind of deck, but those decks tend to run a lot of creatures. Even if they're on the low, even if they're like ten creatures or less, that's still a good amount of creatures. Yeah, they're they don't. I, if I was drafting a Jund deck, I would be terrified to put this in my deck because I'm like, hey, if I don't have any creatures, I'm getting my ass beat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll, we'll yeah we'll pass on it, but it it certainly made me think a lot about it. Yeah, which, I did too. Which, which is worth something. Yeah, I mean, it's not worth anything as far as our purposes, but uh, thought-provoking cards certainly are are always nice, and and this is certainly a flavor win. I was gonna say definitely a flavor oh, win or design oh, win awesome in that regard. So I, I definitely did that for for what that's worth. Uh, anything else in this set that you guys want to talk about? Like I said, not. not Super deep, even though we we spent plenty of time talking about everything. There's uh, that uh, strionic thing that copies triggered abilities. Eh. Oh, is that like the Rings of Bright Hearth or whatever it is? Well, yeah, is that exactly. Similar to that. It's uh, I mean, it's triggered abilities instead of activated abilities. Which how the hell did this make it into a core set? First of all, yeah, I don't, I was still talking to Justin about. That. I'm like, how is this? Like, isn't Corset supposed to be for beginners? Like, even if it isn't as much now, isn't it still supposed to be, like, the easier of the sets? Right, it should be. And now it's like, oh, okay, here's this, uh... Like, when I like when I quit and then came back in the game, I had no idea what triggered and activated abilities were. I had no idea, like, what? What does this card do? Like, those cards, like, bind or whatever, you know, those cards that, like, Caught an activated million. Like, what's the difference between activated and triggered? <laughs> I had no idea. Well, you know, here's the thing: is that the rules reminder text they put on it is perfect for like a clues and tips card. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like I would want if I were a new player, I would want to get the little info card on it that says triggered ability. Well, what a triggered ability is is whenever something says, you know, when, whenever, or at. I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> that makes so much more sense now instead of, you know, some of the stuff they put on the, the rules tips cards. Like, that this card one actually would make sense for me to put it in, like, let's say, maybe not in a core set, but in one of the expansion sets and, like, have it on one of them. Like, oh, okay, like... Yeah. Cool. Not on a card that's supposed to do something and, uh... in here, so... Yeah, but it, seems, I, but it seems really cool with form of the dragon. Huh. Oh well, yeah. It'd be like boom, boom. What's up? I'm at five. I'm at five again. Oh, oh, no. two, puffs, two puffs of fire. Yeah, two <laughs> puffs of fire. Two booms are are sweet. I wonder how many triggered abilities you need in a deck to play this card. I hmm. I think uh, if I'm to the point of knowing the answer to that question. <laughs> I've probably done something wrong. I would maybe, say... <laughs> maybe we can create a format where you get to choose from a pool of artifacts that you just automatically always have in play. Build around? So you, right, right, right. So it just starts out like all just in play, so you don't have to waste a, a, a spot in your deck for it. But like, like, you, could, you could start the game with like a Rings of Bright Hearts in play, or you could start the game with a Strionic Resonator, or a... Uh, the one that lets you cast things at instant speed. Uh, well, if it's like EDH or something and it's your general. 
instead of a legendary creature, it's an artifact. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, I'm playing my artifact general. Oh resonator. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, and then maybe you can build around them, and then all your all your cards are based on these build around artifacts. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I'm going too deep here. Speaking of going deep, I'm thinking I'm thinking maybe seven triggers is what I'd want for that card in my deck. Does that sound right? No? Alright. I don't have a damn... I, I, I think the number is almost too high for me to consider adding this card. Yeah. I feel like even if every card in my deck had triggered abilities, I still wouldn't want to play this card. Because, like, it still costs mana to activate it. Yeah, the ma- costing mana is awkward. Like, I'll pay Necrotal and double... Oh. Right. If it literally ju- if it just like auto doubled, then I can you know, once again we're we're designing new magic cards that are much are significantly better than the versions we were presented, but I don't know, seven man cloud go, Woo Oh my god, so many tokens you can get it flying twice. You oh. Flying flying. Flying flying, no dog. It's it's high flying, man. High you get it flying twice, it can only be blocked by is that like Cloud Elemental, where it has it kind of block flyers? Right. High flying. It's high flying. High flying. It can only block creatures with flying flying. <laughs> and there's that terrible uh, Wasteland reprint, which uh, made me remember Dust Bowl. And I was like, wouldn't I rather just play Dust Bowl? And I was like, oh yeah, or Dust Bowl. Uh, yeah, actually I would. Good, good thinking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like also you know uh, Tectonic Edge. Well, mean, like, well, that's of course. This card next to Tectonic Edge, it's like, oh my god. The fact that this card costs five yeah. to use is agonizing. Yeah. Five mana is so much. But so then, once again, this begs the question if they're putting this card in the set, what kind of lands are we going to be seeing that a five mana strip mine would ever be appealing? Maybe legendary land, right? Probably, yeah. Right. This is what I'm saying. Like, are we gonna get like the Acropolis <laughs> as a land, or like you know, the the Senate Parthenon or something? Parthenon. Yeah. Right. Like, what are you know? What kind of things are we gonna get where we would even consider it? Now, maybe in EDH, maybe there's there's a reason to play five mana wastelands in EDH. I'm sure there is. Because, you know, all kinds of stuff happens in EDH that is unmentionable. Do people play, like, Rat's Edge in EDH? Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, there's a bunch of other options before this one. Well, I mean, just in terms of, well, that doesn't kill lands. Isn't Rat's Edge, like, spend four, sack a creature, deal one, or some nonsense? There's, yeah, maybe there's also, there's Elden Necropolis that does that too, but it costs red mana. Yeah, Rat's Edge does that, yeah, you have to stack it, and it does one damage, but it's all colorless. Ugh. But, like, I, I'm just trying to imagine scenarios in which a five-mana wasteland is something that you want. Yeah. And, and I'm not coming up with a bunch. I mean, it's certainly not in there to help deal with people playing 400, uh, 400 dual lands in their decks in standard. Yeah. Aha! I destroyed your uh, Hallowed Fountain. Right. Nice Hallowed Fountain, idiot. Like, nice time-walking yourself, idiot. Yeah. I'll just play another Hallowed Fountain and a spell. <laughs> yeah. How you like me now? So I'll play Etherling or whatever. Right. Well, that's about it, you guys. We we got through it all. Uh, we certainly did it in uh, in true third power fashion. 
Yeah. <laughs> we we talked extensively and, and gave people uh, hopefully a, uh, a lot to listen to. Um, now, I, I might have been preoccupied dealing with cats or whatever, but Justin, I don't remember you saying what your number one card was for this set. Well, I just had three. I had three cards. Young Pyromancer, Imposing Sovereign, and Banisher Priest. I don't necessarily, I don't think I've ranked them. Technically, oh, okay. And those are just the new cards. If My real number one card is probably just Elvis Mystic, as boring as that is. True. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about the three new cards. I would say my favorite one is going to be Imposing Sovereign, then Young Pyromancer, then the Banisher Priest. So I'll put them in that order. Arshandra, Pyromancer, and Colonian Hydra... The, the the remainder for top uh, five. I think it would be I think it would be the Colonian Hydra. After that, um, Shadowborn Demon. <laughs> yeah, I think I like Shadowborn Demon more than uh, Chandra. Fair, fair enough. So I think I think those would be my top five, and then, and then Chandra would probably be six, followed by um, Liliana's Reaver. And what's the, gosh, it's right here. Archangel? Uh, Archangel, yeah. And then, well, and see, I hadn't a thought, because I was on the fence coming into tonight about Life Pain Zombie, but I think uh, Anthony won me over with his argument, so I think I'd slip, slip that in there, too. And then, obviously, Elvis Mystic would be at the top, but, you know, that's just Land War Elf number three, so. Sure. And, and I think, I think Mind Sparker's got a lot of potential as well, so. Fitting a fitting a nice role, so yeah, I like, I like that card too. I think he's on the uh, on the low end of all of the cards, but I still think he's uh, I still think he's good enough. So we actually get quite a few cards out of here. Like I said, yeah, I, for sure. I I feel like the the easy auto include no matter what is the uh, Elvish Mystic, just because it's such an easy fit with something that we're already doing a lot of. But yeah, it, it, when I saw Imposing Sovereign, it just it made my jaw drop on, on what what you want to have happened. So I think that's going to be that's going to be at the top of, of my list for the things to do with this set. So, yeah. All right. Well, cool guys. Well, hey, thanks for doing that. Let's uh, give everybody a chance to do some uh, some plugging. Where can we uh, where can we find everybody? Uh, we're listening. They know where to find us. But hey, let's give them a chance here again. Well, you can find me uh, mainly on StarCityGames.com and every other Tuesday. Definitely check back every Tuesday because uh, Usman and I do all of the Cube articles there. But every other Tuesday, I write my articles. Um, my Cube list and uh, my Cube Facebook page that I'm trying to work back up to kind of being a Cube hub for podcasts, videos, articles uh, around the net. I try to post it on there, so if you're following that, that's a, a good way to just get your cube info from uh, every every site that I see. So um, all of those are linked on the bottom of all of my articles, but that Facebook page is just facebook.com slash mtgcubedrafting. Um, then you can also follow me on Twitter at jparnell1, which is just J, uh, and then my last name, Parnell, followed by a 1. Uh, I think that's it. Actually, also, I have my cube up on CubeTutor. So if you go to CubeTutor.com, uh, my cube is number 1223, 
and you can draft it. You can check it out. There's a visual spoiler. You can see all of uh, all of the cards. They have it listed neatly. You can look at some analysis as far as the breakdown of all the card types, colors, and such. And that's a pretty sweet website. So uh, that's that's what I got going on right now. Awesome. Looks fun. Uh, yeah, I write every other Tuesday when Parnell's not writing on Star City, and I mainly tweet about Cube. Uh, Boost on the Red on Twitter. And at the blog, I'd rather be cubing.wordpress.com. In case you want to vote on that sword poll, it's pretty close to the top. And uh, why don't we do uh, why don't we do a poll this week about uh, which card are you know like we talked about which card are you think will have the highest impact in uh, in cube out of M14. Hey, I like this. That's a good one. All right. And we can list those ones. And you can find me. Uh, I write over at legitmtg.com. Um, you can find me. I'm one of the uh, cube writers over there. Um, I'm sure you'll see a set review going up soon and, and these modern uh, cube articles as well. You can find me over at Twitter at Antony42, A-N-T-K-N-E-E-4-2. Due to my upbringing in South Philly, is everybody calling me, hey, yo, Antony. So just kind of stuff. Oh, is that uh, where that's from? Huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's because, you know, growing up, no one can actually say three syllables. So wow. There's never Anthony, so it was always, hey, yo, Antony. So it just became Antony, and the, the 42 is a reference, of course, to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy uh, that you were talking about earlier with Arthur Dent. So, uh, yeah, just I've always been Antony, so that's kind of how everybody... And I, you know... People introduce myself to people in college or whatever have name tags, and I would draw a picture of a bug, you know, a little ant, and then a picture of someone's leg bent with like an arrow pointing at the middle of it. <laughs> or when I, I still, when I tell people, I'm like, you know, I try to give people my email address over the phone for like a, 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 a credit card thing, or you know, what I have to do online billing or whatever. I'm like, ant knee, you know, 42. I'm like, you know, ant like the bug, knee like the middle of your leg, 42. So, and, uh, that's pretty much me everywhere on all the, the message boards. It's always Anthony42, so. Cool. Well, uh, that's about it. Uh, any last uh, words you guys want to get in about uh, M14? I, I think we're going to do pretty well. Even though it's not super exciting, I think there's a possibility for us to get uh, close to double-digit cards out of a core set, uh, at least to try out. And I think that's uh, a lot better than what I thought originally. Yeah. Um, Yep. Unfortunately, a lot of them are mythic, so it might be uh, a little more difficult to obtain, but that's just the way of the world right now in Magic, is that the uh, the best cards are mythic. So, And uh, Usman, how about my calling of uh, voice of resurgence as being expensive? Yeah, uh, how much is it now? Like, what, 50 or 60 or something? Yeah, they still retail up around there. Jeez. So you can find them for, like, mid-40s on, like, uh, some of the more competitive pricing sites, but yep, yep, value in a set has to come from somewhere. Yeah, and, that's uh, true. I feel that way about this set, too, by the way, from a financial standpoint. We don't have a whole lot of super big standouts, because I think the two biggest chase cards are rare, which are Mutavault and uh, Scavenging News. Yep. By yeah. the way, two, two reprints that you guys should definitely uh, try to get in your queue while they're cheap. Because they're both certainly very worthy cards and cubes of, of virtually any size. Uh, so, so where's our value going to come from? Because you know, rares will, even though 
Correctus held its value for quite a while. Uh, we did have some mythics that, that held quite a bit of value. Uh, where's it going to come from in this set? I, I don't have the answer to that. So, Colonian Hydra seems to be uh, the leader in the clubhouse, but because uh, the planeswalkers always start high and then come down, but I don't know. I don't have the answer quite yet. So, yeah. Well, cool. Any other said? Any any last words? Anything else, you guys, want to get in before uh, before we sign off? I want to get one more thing in. Um, Absolutely. I want to plug your article, your VIP treatment article on Legit MTG. I just want to say how enjoyable this article is because I know you will not go on about it. Please go read this. Um, it's Anthony's article about his uh, time at Grand Prix Las Vegas. It is incredibly entertaining. Uh, it is not necessarily cube-related, but it's a lot of fun. Um, it's a good read, so please go read that. Oh. Well, hey, thanks, man. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Absolutely. I, I really do enjoy writing tournament reports, and I think it is a as much of a lost art form in Magic the Gathering as uh, as anything right now. Um, used to be the the internet was full of inter- of, of tournament reports, and that was you know for me that's always some of the most enjoyable reading. Uh, I think uh, Osef actually wrote one on Star City recently, right? He was the uh, yes. the mystery author, yeah. and those are always the the best, most enjoyable reads, you know. Um, I enjoy writing them, and unfortunately, I don't get to play as much in in important events that people would even want to read about. But I figured uh, I, I did well enough, and it was an interesting and important enough event that I should write something about it. So, and I normally do not like tournament reports, standard ones, and I I felt like like you said, it is a lost art, um, and there's a big difference between good ones like this and then ones that just go through and read like a textbook. And this is not one of those, so go read it. Everybody. Okay, man. Well, hey, thanks. Absolutely. I'd like people to read it too, but I appreciate you mentioning that. <laughs> it's always uh, it's always humbling when you hear someone uh, someone who's who's talented writer themselves say that they should go read something of yours because it's good. So I appreciate it. it. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we just that's just about everything, right? Uh, well, there's a there's one more thing, of course. Oh, of course. <laughs> All right, rock over London, rock on Chicago. M14, ignite your spark. Man, that sounds like a stoner logo, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just light it on up. Light that spark up. Light the spark on up, folks. Ignite <laughs> your spark, planeswalkers. So, Usman, are you going to submit yourself as a... Have you submitted your Planeswalker video yet? What? What? <laughs> yeah, you, you haven't seen these where you can... You oh, should, it's, it's a contest where you can no. uh, send yourself in as a Planeswalker and, like, no. submit pictures or a video. Uh-uh. And, yeah, and you could be Usman, Usman the Red, like, uh, <laughs> like, our Sorry. Sarkin's dad. Well, that's not, that, like, that is why you can like just go on there and be like, Shadow man. <laughs> to be fair, if you go and look at some of the entries, that might win on its own. Is that bad? They are. I'll just. Uh, they're loose. <laughs> what's, the, what's it called? Like, Ignite. I think it's the Ignite Your Spark contest or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just go go over to the Daily MPG and uh, you'll like you'll see a link to it. 
and uh, it's uh, it's something else. There'll be like a link either on the like the top banner or the side banner, and uh, oh dear, view submissions. By, by the way, just so you know, don't go to igniteyourspark.com uh, <laughs> for for most of us because what that is it's actually a national leadership conference for women changing the world. Huh. Igniteyourspark.com is uh, is all is a is a ignite your speak. Ignite your spark. It's what for uh, women empowerment, which is fine, but has nothing to do with planeswalkers. It's a picture of a duck or something. All right, and a guy wearing a scarf. That's that's cool. That guy's a planeswalker. That's about all of them. That's these are um, guy with a koala. This is looking really good. Black and white picture. Guy breathing fire. All right. Yeah, we got planeswalkers here. <laughs> so so yeah so. So maybe you should ignite your spark over there this month. That's that's my advice. There we go. <laughs> your plus one can be like giggle. Your minus two can be like giggle uncontrollably. <laughs> I'm not sure what your ultimate would be at this point, but uh, uh, soapbox. Get back to me, right? Right. Stand <laughs> emblem, on soapbox. Emblem. At any point in time, you can get on your soapbox and. Uh, Double Buster, yeah. a magical, a magical hey. gathering. Yeah. So, all right, guys. All right. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. Thanks right. again to Justin for coming in. Appreciate yeah, thanks, it, guys. I, I really enjoyed being back. All right, all right. catch you all next time. Bye. All right.